When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. For my friends. 77 WABC. Many of you may not be aware that yesterday, Thursday, full page ad, the New York Post, taken out by John and Margot Katsimatidis, Chad Lopez, the Capitituti, the head of Red Apple Media, our parent company. Easter holiday special that Curtis Lee wore all weekend. All day Thursday, all day Friday, all day Saturday, all day Sunday, 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 Raceway Park with Curtis Lewa. Yeah, I'm even, I'm even acting as a vendor. I'm selling popcorn, peanuts, Cracker Jack without the price inside. But I have an opportunity to send, send up a message to everybody out there that Curtis Lewa will be the world champion when it comes to longevity of doing radio within a 96-hour period. I've been given that opportunity. The Guinness Book of Records uh, will now have a new record holder. Thank you, thank you, Lou. Thank you, thank you, Justin Elliknot. And thank you, not Gnome Lady. I'm surprised you two guys even bother to come in today, Justin Ellick and Gnome Lady, because, you know, it being Good Friday, I could have a flashback as a Gentile. You know, all of a sudden, oh, my God, you know, Good Friday. If I'm looking at Mel Gibson's, what, Passion of the Christ, I could be having flashbacks here. And by the way, I noticed that most of you are New York Mets fans, what happened to your opening day, right? What happened to your opening day? <laughs> Canceled and not a drop of rain, right? What was that about? And then all of a sudden I see, oh, Max Scherzer got bombed in Milwaukee. One, two, three, there it goes. Well, you know, the pitch clock is causing me a problem. Really? My Lord. 
And I, I want you all to know, uh, Lou especially, and Justin Ellick, uh, and to Sid Rosenberg, who's probably listening on the stream all the way in London, England. Uh, I did an interview with the New York Post. It should be published uh, probably within 24 hours online as to why so many New Yorkers have opted to have the New York Yankees logo on their license plates and not the New York Mets logo. Well, you know, I've always viewed the old uh, Mets parking lot in Shea Stadium and now in uh, City Field as being sort of remnants of a demolition derby uh, a demolition derby uh, reject of uh, <laughs> what I would call rent as opposed to what you see roll up to Yankee Stadium. Now, Yankee Stadium, the way it is right now, with all the catalytic converters that are being stolen in the streets of the South Bronx, never mind the, the cars that get taken to the chop shops in Hunts Point. But you are going to see yours truly, Curtis Lee, just completely rip, annihilate, and disseminate all New York Mets fans. So I want you to make sure you get Saturday's New York Post, go online, and you will see uh, me critique the New York Mets. Every excuse, excuse under under the world of baseball. Woe place like home. That's the back page of today's New York Mets. Every excuse why the Mets have been so poor to get out of the box. But I would much rather focus on some of the other things that are transpiring, especially when it comes to our city of New York. Now, I'm no fan of Marjorie Taylor Greene. I've always said never trust anybody with three names. Never, ever, ever trust anybody with three names. But she was on Tucker Carlson after having been the face of the Republican Party in defense of former President Donald Trump when he was uh, dragged into Manhattan criminal court They unsealed the indictments. They dropped 24 charges right on his head. Alvin Bragg did. And then, oh, look who's here. It's uh, Boy Giuliani, Andrew. I heard you doing 96 straight hours, and I had to save the WABC listeners because uh, I just literally ran in with my Superman cape and tore it off, and that's now in the street. But 96 hours of Curtis, I mean, I love you, Curtis, but that's, I mean, you have four ex-wives that said they can't even handle you for, for, uh, exactly. for that long. And we saw what happened as a result. It was called Family Corps. By the way, I have a bone to pick with you and your papa. Uh, my wife woke me up the other morning, and I was in a cold sweat, what she told me. Right. She's reading the headlines, as she always do does, uh, sort of like give me a heads up when I roll in here. I can't believe this. The Giuliani's are hosting a fundraiser for Eric Adams, Swagger Man with no plan? Yeah, I found out about this in the press as well. What do you mean you found out about it? I was screaming, ranting, and raving. I said, I can't believe Rudy would do this. I can't believe Andrew would do this. <laughs> well, I can tell you I am, I'm not going to this fundraiser. We have uh, not been invited. But Kathy and Rudy Giuliani, who are second cousins of mine, uh, they, have, uh, they hosted Eric Adams in the Democratic primary last time because... They were trying to prevent what happened in Chicago happening this last week. I don't believe they supported him in the general election, but they did support him through the Democratic primary. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yes, Hold on yes, a second, yes. Andrew. Uh, I happen to be the person who lost Eric Adams in the general election. I, I remember. I don't remember anybody named Catherine Giuliani or Rudy E. Giuliani <laughs> supporting me against Eric Adams. They're hosting... 
a big fundraiser at their home in Flushing, which I've been to before right. when they were hosting uh, fundraisers for your your father when he was running against. Uh, they hosted David a Dinkins. fundraiser for me. That's exactly. Yeah. They gave me Ugats. They gave me Bubkas. <laughs> and now Eric Adams has already raised $1.7 for his reelection. His approval ratings are at 37%. That's even lower than Joe Biden nationally. Right. Why would they be doing something like this? So, so I take the same mindset uh, as you on this in the sense that, but I think they take a little different mindset. So I take the same mindset that we need to build up Republican candidates in this city. And I think they take the mindset that, Hey, look, a Republican candidate citywide hasn't gotten more than 30 percent in since Bloomberg and really a Republican that stayed a Republican since 1997. So in that light, we want to make sure New York City doesn't elect somebody like they just did in Chicago. So we're going to have somebody who speaks more middle of the road like an Eric Adams. Uh, and honestly, in looking at the numbers, it's tough to go and say, well, you're wrong about this, because I think they're trying to be as uh, they're trying to basically uh, stop the deterioration of the city slowly. So what do you say to that? Andrew, why don't you just disavow your cousins there and just tell them, oof, I can't believe <laughs> Wait, uh, Let me straighten this out. Right. Have you had a conversation with them, Catherine and Rudy? Yeah. Not yet, but in a couple of weeks I'll be going over to their place before Eric Adams. Not to help them set up for the Eric Adams fundraiser, believe it or not. Because I've accused you of being an Eric Adams you Republican. Have on multiple occasions over there, even well, though I've gone on air and called them impotent. Let me I called him impotent. In the waning days of your campaign right. against Lee Zeldin, yes. uh, Bob Asherino, right. and Harry Wilson, right. your father schlepped out to Staten Island, yes. which where he's God. Right. I mean, you mention your dad's name in Staten Island, and it's like they might as well put a statue at Mount Laredo to him. He's God. <laughs> and he was at the, I believe, the shop, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, or the shop and shop. Yes. Stop and shop or shop. It, yeah. One of the two in the South Shore. Mm-hmm. And actually, lots of people were coming up to Rudy. Uh, they were reminiscing with him. They said, oh, of course, we're going to vote for Andrew uh, in the primary. And then the uh, employee there came behind him and smacked him in the back, almost knocked him to the ground, got arrested. And then could you remind your cousins, Catherine and Rudy E. Giuliani, <laughs> that it was Eric Adams who picked up the phone and called the ambulance chaser, the district attorney out in Staten Island, McMahon, by the way, the Republicans there are not running a candidate against him. Right. Crime is up 17% in Staten Island, higher than in any of the five boroughs, skyrocketing in Mid-Island and the North Shore. The DA is partly responsible for that. They're not even running a but, candidate against him. By the way, in not running a, thinking about what happened this week and the push for the Trump team to get the, the case actually pushed out to Staten Island, do you think, in light of that all, that might actually be a good strategy by Republicans in not running anybody against him? I know you're not. A, I know I would not accuse you of being a Trump Republican, but in thinking of all that, do you think it's a good strategy? Uh, I heard the Congresswoman uh, Nicole Maliotakis urging that. That mm-hmm. was on Noam Layden's uh, five o'clock roundtable uh, of news. But I'll tell you this much. You remember how angry that made me that Eric Adams yep. wanted your father arrested. It pissed me off, too. For filing a false police charge. Yep. And you and I were both at the Memorial Day parades, great parades in Staten Island. And remember, I confronted McMahon. Right. 
And I said, if you charge my Kumbadichich, Rudy Giuliani, I will convince him to come out, move to Staten Island, and run against you for DA. <laughs> and McMahon has white hand, hair to begin with. And he was, like, shocked <laughs> because he started to do the analytics. He would get smashed yeah. if Rudy decided to go out <laughs> to Staten Island and run for DA. No, and, and on top of that, you had the Guardian Angels come out. And be dad's security detail for the last yeah, five days yeah. of the campaign. So, you look, I, but, but, I, I, <laughs> don't your cousins realize that this Eric Adams that they're going to be raising money for wanted your daddy arrested, wanted him incarcerated? Look, I, I've been very clear with the way I feel about Eric Adams. I think he's sadly nothing but a press conference and actually does not get the job done. I think he's more focused on where he's going to go to the club that night than actually trying to clean up the streets. And I think... Uh, we see it time and time again with some of his selections, what he's done. I was just talking about this on Charter School, how he advocated that he would be a charter school yeah, advocate. Yeah. And when he gets in, into Albany, when he gets the, when he gets into office and goes up to Albany, kicks them and stabs them right in the back like that. Well, you know what was so sad about that? Uh, the mayor not only went up there and said, well, it's going to cost a billion dollars, mm-hmm. so I'm not in favor of lifting the cap on the charter schools, which – he not only campaigned on, he got a million dollars. Right, that, re- that regional cap, especially, right. because that would... I looked at that, I said, a million dollars? I don't get bumpkins. I don't get who guys. But anyway, we, we digress. It was John Liu, the state senator, who's in the back pocket of the UFT, Union of Failed Teachers, of Chairman Michael Mulgrew, who said to Eric Adams in open legislative session... Oh, it's good to see you've come over to our side. He played with him like a cat plays with a mouse. Now, Eric said, well, it doesn't mean I'm on your side. We just don't have a billion dollars. And I said, you don't have a billion dollars? You're spending $4 billion on illegal aliens sending their kids to our schools. We're paying for it. We get no help from Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb, not a penny. We get no help from Joe Biden or the federal government. So he's incurred $4 billion of expenses. For illegal aliens, and says, well, it's too much money to spend a billion dollars to have more charters for desperately needed charters. Yeah, I-, I was out at the Rockaway Republican Club a couple of days ago with Tommy Sullivan, who, by the way, is so appreciative of everything that you did for him. And we know what happened to Tommy was uh, atrocious in this last election, where he lost by 15 votes, even though there was the con- connection of the Democratic candidate, who was the incumbent, uh, actually, their mother appointing the judge who would oversee that. So talk about a conflict of interest. But one of the conversations I had there was with a teacher who is a public school teacher who is conservative but supports the union. And the, one of the arguments that this person made, very smart person, was saying that, well, you know, really you can't justify it over the last couple of years because of all the learning losses, and that's why the charters and the parochials have done better than the public schools. And I said in response to that, but well, don't you understand? It is the teachers' union that pushed for this. It is Mulgrew, as you as you mentioned. It is Weingarten who pushed to keep kids out of school for two years, and it's absolutely atrocious. So uh, you're absolutely right well, on that. You mentioned that name. Slowly I turn, step by step. Randy, the whiner, Weingarten, <laughs> who used to be the chairwoman of the union of failed teachers, and yep. then the Peter principal kicked in. She got kicked upstairs. Now she's the head of the American Federation of Teachers. And I heard her with John Katsimatidis in the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion when Vallis had won the initial round, the election round in Chicago. And everybody, including Eric Adams, was saying, you see, you see, this stops, this stops the liberals and progressives. 
Vallis had been the superintendent of schools in Chicago. Then Randy Weingarten came on as a guest. She said some nice things about Vallis, but she went overboard for mm-hmm. Johnson. Now, it turned out the winner, Johnson, who's worse. Oh, worse than life for you. Than the previous mayor, Beetlejuice. She wants to get rid of law enforcement. Get rid yes. of law enforcement. Yes. yes. So, so Johnson, the new mayor, was given a million dollars by Randy Weingarten's American Federation of Teachers. And she was promoting him right here on WABC. Oh, he's not as bad. Yeah, but he said defund the police. Well, he didn't really mean that. You know, it's like, what? He really didn't mean it. Now he's mayor of Chicago. The flight will continue the exodus. And just to give you a little inside information about corporate America, because so many of the Fortune 500 companies have been in Chicago. Many have left under Lightfoot. But if you notice, McDonald's closed their offices for a week. They said because they're having to do layoffs around the world. Their corporate headquarters used to be in Oak Brook, Mm -hmm. which was a suburb outside of Chicago. Uh, They had the university there. When I was a manager at McDonald's up in the Bronx, the owners of the franchise there, the Treasure Brothers, would not send me to Oak Brook, Illinois, to the university because they say, you'll probably get expelled from that school, too. (laughs) Ronald McDonald will kick you out. But as a sign of support for the struggling Chicago, mm-hmm. they moved the corporate headquarters into the city. Right. Now, they shut their offices for a week, and they thought it was because they're downsizing around the world. No, I know they shut their offices to see who would win. If Val's, the moderate, would win, mm-hmm. they would remain in Chicago. Right. If Johnson, the socialist, would win, they would leave Chicago again and maybe even leave the state of Illinois. So you are going to see not only enormous continued population flight, Mm -hmm. uh, not only the top uh, wage earners who are the taxpayers, but also corporately an amazing number of companies that were like halfway out the door will now continue the exodus to Texas, Tennessee, and Florida. Curtis, 100%, and I don't want to be the one to tell everybody I told you so on this, but you could pull the tape the day after uh, Vallis ended up winning the plurality and Johnson ended up finishing in second. I said, you got to watch out in this runoff. I know that Vallis had won 30-something percent and and Johnson had just gotten 20%, but you're going to have all of the lefties all of the crazies, if you will, that are going to unify behind Johnson. And just be, that that jump from 33 to 50% is a massive jump. As a matter of fact, if that would have happened in the Democratic primary in 2021 in New York, Maya Wiley could have very easily been elected as the Democratic nominee, and you could have faced off against Maya Wiley in 2021. With that circumstance, I might have become the mayor of the city of New York. <laughs> I would have welcomed that. I think I think there were a lot of people that would cross party lines to vote for you. Well, she was an acolyte of AOC, all yeah. out crazy. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, leader of the Socialists of America and the Justice Warriors, who, by the way, uh, when Bernie the Altachachasen this kicks the bucket, because we know that's going to happen momentarily. He doesn't look like he's in very good shape. She assumes the mantle as the leader of the National Socialists of America. And Bernie Sanders actually went into Chicago to campaign for yeah. Johnson. So, I mean, you're absolutely right on this. But you just wonder, where is the bottom in all this? When does this stop? You're absolutely right in terms of business flight in Chicago. I know two two people that I'm very close with that have run incredibly successful businesses, Jimmy John's Sub and Jack Link's Beef Jerky. 
the two CEOs, they moved the headquarters out of Illinois and they moved to Florida because they actually were business friendly there and they felt more safety for their well, employees. Well, that's that's giving me an idea that I'm going to be calling you jerky boy. Oh, Your two like relatives it. hosting a fundraiser for Eric Adams, who's already collected 1.7 mil. For what? (laughs) 37% approval rating. And then I need you to confront them and say, you know what he did to my my father? He wanted him arrested. (laughs) Look, I I have been very clear about Eric Adams, and I think that this guy is sadly. Could you tell your cousins, Catherine and Rudy Giuliani, (laughs) that you want the name removed? No, I love Kathy and Rudy Giuliani. And look, I, I think this is pretty clear in the Giuliani family history. Uh, my sister's been very, very open, probably more open than my father and I would love about the fact that she is a, a very, very uh, liberal person in terms of who she ends up supporting. She supported Obama. She supported Biden while I worked in the White House. So we have kind of a classic history in the Giuliani That's family true, where we have this. on both sides. There's only one, I love there's my only one way so they, much. They I love can make up. Uh, they, they have to invite me to this front. <laughs> you know what? I'll see the. I'll they see them in a couple of weeks. Guess, I'll see if they'll like Curtis Lee to the fundraiser. Right maybe, Curtis Lee maybe you'll get top billing. You'll be able to host the fundraiser. <laughs> what do you think about that? <laughs> oh, that would make my day. We can work a negotiation day. on this. I would Let's say, see. Hey, Eric, you got a rat star yet? Huh? You got a rat star yet? <laughs> anyway, this is Sid and Friends. Sid away. I guess he's going to be back on Monday, I think, right? Monday, that's right. So it'll be Andrew Giuliani who will go the rest of the way at 7 with John Katzmatidis, who I'm just looking now at my phone because it had run out of juice, who apparently I kept up to the break of dawn. I don't know what kind of shape he's going to be in. He hasn't gotten any sleep in like the last five days. And speaking of no sleep, that's going to be you for the next 96 hours, good sir. But you know, I say, don't worry about it. There'll be plenty of time to sleep when you're dead because that's all you get a chance to do. Friends in the morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Chaka Khan. Very good selection, Lou. By the way, Chaka Khan battling the world like I am. She's at Mary J. Blige's neck. She's at Mariah Carey's neck. She can't understand why she wasn't rated up there with Aretha Franklin as the number one female performer of all time by Rolling Stone magazine. By the way, a little side note about Chaka 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 Khan. Every year... She appears 
at the annual gathering at uh, the McCormick Plaza in Chicago. It's called Savior's Day for Screwy Louis Farad Khan and the Nation of Islam. She's right there. I said, Chaka, you broke my heart. So she's, prob- she's probably celebrating this Johnson victory over here, huh? Probably. Uh, probably. Oh, she is from Chi-Town. Yeah. Absolutely. You are correct. But, you know, yesterday I was in Astoria collecting the last signatures for our candidate who's running against the socialist, the mini-me of AOC, Kaban, who wants to remove all the police and all the prisons. And in collecting the last signatures, I stopped by St. Francis of the CC Church right on 21st Avenue. And I am maybe different than you, uh, Andrew, because uh, I am an AMP Catholic. Ashes on Wednesday, palms on Sunday, then you don't see me for a month of Sundays. <laughs> but I saw all the uh, older women going in, no men, right. by the way, because it was Good Thursday. They were having an evening uh, mass. I think I'll go in. Maybe lightning would strike me <laughs> since I was. And St. Francis Assisi has always been a... Hero of mine because he was the patron saint of all animals. Right. So as I'm sitting there, I'm saying to myself, the Last Supper, who would Mary Magdalene be? Stormy Daniels. <laughs> who would Judas be, right? The 12th apostle. Michael Cohen. <laughs> and my mind started moving. Who would be Peter? Remember, Peter, uh, Jesus said, you will end up renouncing me, right? Ah, oh, never. Never. <laughs> I will be crucified first. He renounced them. Who would that be? I mean, think of all the characters. We could create a Leonardo da Vinci mural, right? like he painted of the original uh, Last Supper. And instead of Jesus Christ, you have Donald Trump. And then you have his apostles. They obviously Michael Cohn as Judas and uh, Stormy Daniels as Mary Magdalene. You and your dad would have to be two of the apostles up there. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. Well, look, I've I, and I've I've seen people this week with memes talking about. Well, there was somebody else who was famous in world history who was arrested on Easter week, being Jesus. Look, as big of a supporter as I am of Trump, I, I will not compare him to Jesus Christ in that regard. But look, I, I think in looking at what has happened over the last couple of days, and and you have you have headlined this so well here, Curtis, as somebody who is rightfully not a uh, fan of Donald Trump. You believe the justice system has gone way, way overboard oh my God. in all of this. And you see how destructive this is for the fabric of our society as Americans. Oh, yeah. And uh, more importantly, what we saw was people cheering, many in my neighborhood, especially the Upper West Side, where they were holding up signs, lock him up, lock him up. <laughs> it's come full circle from 2016, <laughs> where the Trumpers would scream, lock her up, meaning uh, Hillary Rodham Clinton. Big signs, these are little old Altakaka ladies. They're like 80 years old. They got the combat boots on. I saw them on the train. They were going down to the rally. They were going to face off with the uh, pro-Trumpers. And I'm saying, really? You're, you're like in your 80s. Oh, we got to lock them up, put them in jail. Look, it, it really is Trump derangement syndrome for so many people. And uh, one of the guests that we'll have on, uh, later this morning with John Katzimatidis will be Alan Dershowitz. And, and he headlined this very clearly. He said, somebody with Trump derangement syndrome. You know, there are other people who do not like him, but you can talk to them and they will go on both sides. I consider you, that to be you. I consider that to be Peter King now. Um, but 
somebody who really is deranged in terms of Trump and only hates his personality, you, you can't, there's no sense. You can't make sense with them about anything having to do with Trump. But I want to just, you mentioned Stormy Daniels before, and I want to ask you a question, Curtis. I open up the paper today, the New York Post, and on page 11 it says, quote, I've had sex with hotter celebs than Don, and immediately I thought, has Curtis Slewa slept with Stormy Daniels? I take the fifth. <laughs> oh, he takes the fifth. Because, first off, probably not, because remember, in one of her initial interviews when we first learned of uh, her having uh, a relationship with Donald Trump, she told us she did not use condoms. Right. She did not have safe sex. I will never have sex with a woman who does not have safe sex. <laughs> <laughs> At least that's what I'd like to believe. Okay, well, then uh, I, I think that we'll have to just deduce whatever we can out of that right there and, and get on with our Good Friday, I guess. I would bet A-Rod, <laughs> right? Look at Stormy Daniels, yep, right? Yep. Definitely A-Rod. Yes, I Because see that. anyone who's blonde... He's probably had sex with at this point. That's true. Alex Rodriguez swore. Now, by the way, his lawyer was Tacopina, remember? That's right. That's right. So there's a connection uh, there. Who was supporting him? Hands across the America. Fernando Mateo, who, by the way, I crushed in the Republican primary uh, to become the Republican candidate. But both those guys were supporting Alex Rodriguez when he was claiming, I've never used roids. This is anti-Hispanic. This is a smear against all Hispanic ballplayers. Then all of a sudden, yeah, yeah, I used roids. Yeah, but, you know, it was my cousin. Twice. Uh, it was my cousin. I thought it was vitamin B12 <laughs> shots, right? And that happened twice with A-Rod And here. by the way, nobody's mentioned this. But a very dear friend of your father, and I've known him for years, you've known him, Bernard Carrick, was represented by Takapina. Yeah. Up in the Bronx. And then the next thing, Takapina went back door and started to work with the feds against his client, Bernard Carrick. Nobody ever brings that up. Well, I know Takapina is a friend of the show. Uh, one of the things that he's been under a little bit of heat for recently, I haven't heard his response to this, was uh, about five years ago, he looked at these charges when they were first potentially coming out there, when Cohen started talking about it and $130,000 uh, became public. Uh, and he said that there might actually be uh, a there there in terms of being able to prosecute Trump for this. Now he's saying he's learned the facts of the case, so it's not. But the media kind of has him on both sides. Oh, and yeah, kind no, of no, no, I remember he was laughing on CNN. He was in the Hollywood Square of so-called lawyers and experts who are always wrong, by the right. way. They were all wrong on this case, <laughs> right? Think of all the legal experts that we've heard both here at WABC on uh, Fox and other talk outlets. Oh, uh, they were all wrong. Yeah. Well, you know, they thought, oh, there's going to be a spring break. This uh, grand jury may never meet again. Costello went in there and he ripped Michael Cohen and Newbex. <laughs> and I'm saying to myself, how do you know he did that? Well, he told us. Well, you don't know that. Of course he's going to come on. He's going to have all this braggadocia. I taught him about Michael Cohen, the liar. Well, guess what? They dropped 34 charges on Trump's head. Obviously, Costello didn't do that well a job. Well, Curtis, you make a really good point at this, and I could see why the legal experts would get it wrong in this case, because this case really has nothing to do with the law. This has everything to do with politics. And I got to say, there's nobody that understands New York City politics as well as Curtis Sliwa. And so the fact that you were able to see beyond, really, the code, beyond our Constitution, beyond the legal norms, 
and see to the political side of this and how the judiciary has become politicized, I think speaks to the exact heart of this case and the reason why Alvin Bragg is doing what he's doing. He's doing it for two people. One group being Manhattan, because he got 81%, and he realizes he's going to be able to get a big enough majority by doing this, by making the people that elected him happy, as disgusting it is to think about. And the second person is George Soros. You know, you patted me so hard on the back, I'm have, going to have to go for a chiropractic <laughs> adjustment today. You, you might have to take me to court. But you so hard I still want you to disavow your cousins, Catherine and uh, Rudy I will not disavow. E. I, I love them very for much. I will not disavow. a fundraiser. I can't believe this. <laughs> For Eric Adams, swagger man with no front. By the way, he is the mayor of the illegal aliens. He is not my mayor. Now, meantime, traffic is coming up next. But right now it's time for the 77 WABC minicast clip of the day. Get the whole story in under 10 New York minutes. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Today's minicast is from the Dominic Carter Show. He's talking about, guess who? Donald Trump. If. You are a Trump hater. You better enjoy your short 15 minutes now because it's not going to last very long. You found out, just like I did, even if you're a Trump hater, that no matter what you tell yourself, that Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg does not have a case. Even Trump's biggest critics are saying exactly the same thing. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. I see. This is Sid on Sports. Sponsored by Peerless Boilers on 77 WABC. Justin Ellick here with your bottom of the hour sports update. Sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com to find a dealer near you. They are the world's best built boilers. Hockey took front and center last night with the only local action being on the ice. The Islanders eviscerated the Tampa Bay Lightning at home, burying them by a score of 6-1 to in Jersey. The Devils are already a playoff bound but decided to beat down on the Columbus Blue Jackets anyway to the tune of an 8-1 to final score. And in St. Louis, the Rangers lost an overtime heartbreaker to the Blues, the final score being 3-2. to Looking ahead to local action this afternoon and tonight on the Diamond, the Miami Marlins are set to pay the Mets a visit. Uh, the home opener at City Field, that'll be Tyler McGill, going up against Miami's Edward Cabrera at 1.10 p.m. Eastern time this afternoon. And then you get the Yankees out in Baltimore. They've yet to name a starter going up against uh, the Orioles' Dean Kremer. That first pitch is at 3.05 p.m. this afternoon. And on the hardwood, the Nets, they'll welcome in the Orlando Magic tonight at 7.30. And at 8 p.m., the Knicks, they're going to be out in New Orleans taking on the Pelicans. And, of course, the Masters tournament out at Augusta National in Georgia got underway yesterday. Your leaderboard looks something like this right now as we go into round two today. Seven under is your leading score. you got a three-way tie atop the leaderboard. Brooks Kepka, the lead golf defector. Victor Hovland at seven under as well. And the Spaniard, John Rahm, in his usual spot atop the leaderboard. And, Justin, we got a local boy, Cameron Young, sitting two shots back yep. at five under. Yeah, five under. And how about Jason Day? 
at, at five under as well. He's been playing good golf lately, so it's good to see him back on top of the leaderboard or somewhere close to it. So that is your sports update. I'm Justin Alec, again, sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com to find a dealer near you. They're the world's best-built boilers. And I'm Justin Alec on 77 WABC. Sit in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. Thank God, Disco. Do you know who this is, Andrew Giuliani? Because uh, she was the diva of all divas before there was Mariah Carey, before there was Beyonce, before there was um, uh, a woman who is now in Joker 2, as you know. I call her Thunder Thighs. <laughs> Graduate of a Catholic high school that I believe you had some knowledge of, who disparaged the Catholic high school, even though it was one of the best uh, in existence. I think it was your sister who went there, right? Yes, Sacred Heart, you're talking about, yes. right? Lady Gaga? That's right. Right. Well, this is not Lady Gaga. Um, you, I'm going to embarrass myself because, really, my music knowledge at this moment goes to what a 16-month-old would like because... Okay. Well, well, I'm going to force I'm gonna force Lou to tell us who this is because it so bothers him sometimes to have to play disco on Friday, which was committed to a long time ago by Sid. Who is this uh, who for four years had like five top 40 hits every year from 1978 to 1982? Who is it? Who is it, Lou? The legendary... On a summer. Thank you. Mm. By the way, I, and I be... recognize the voice. I should have known that, but that's uh, no, no, no. There's musically challenged. Before you were birthed. I'm musically challenged. Before you were birthed. But I will tell you this. You know how Donna Summers died? Apparently, she had an apartment down near the World Trade Center when it was attacked on 9-11 and imploded. And then naturally all the toxins and carcinogens and dust went out. She was advised by her many advisors, you should really leave. She said, no, I'm not going to leave New York. I'm not going to stay right down here. And she developed a severe lung ailment that really? took her life. She had never been a smoker. Oh, wow. And uh, it just showed you. And she wasn't even in the pit. And how many of those men and others yeah. who went into the pit suffered similar uh, damage? And remember, Christine Todd Whitless who had been a horrible governor in New Jersey, then was kicked upstairs to Peter Principal again to become the EPA chief just for Bush 43, said, don't worry about it. You don't need gloves. You don't need masks. You don't need respirators. You don't need hazmat suits. The air is good to breathe. And not just the responders, but some of the people who lived down in that area, worked down in the area, similarly uh, ended up with all kind of respiratory issues, uh, lung cancer, uh, just horrible, horrible diseases that 
cause them severe pain and in many instances death, like like Donna Summers? Yeah, you know, one of the police officers who was on my detail, uh, Terrence Mulvey, God rest his soul, he passed away two days after my daughter Grace was born. And uh, after calling my mother and father and saying that they had a uh, wonderful granddaughter, um, Terry was my third call. At that point, he couldn't speak, but his wife put uh, the phone up to his ear. Um, and uh, he meant that much to me. There were so many heroes that uh, went down there, not just on that day, not just the 343 firefighters that died on the day or the 23 police officers or all the Port Authority police officers, but all those that came in afterwards that kept on searching, that kept on trying to find people and then turning it to a recovery site there um, that have given uh, their lives since. You know, I had the uh, fortune to go up to where all the debris was being sifted through, the old Fresh Kills dump. Right. It had just been closed by your father and Guy Molinari. It's one of the promises he kept. By, by the way, the only thing that I think is going to get named after my father in this city, if we keep on having politicians like Eric Adams or even worse that get elected, it's probably going to be a dump. We'll put it that way. Well, I tell you, uh, the dump I grew up next to, Spring Creek Dump, along the Bell Parkway, which separated Queens from Brooklyn. I lived in Canarsie. Is now called the Shirley Chisholm Park. It's a state park. Yeah. And I said, do you remember? I said, I remember. Yeah, name Fresh Kills after Rudy Giuliani. When when I think every single morning I walk by the David Dinkins Municipal Building to yes. get on the subway to come to WABC Studios, and it drives me crazy, literally the worst mayor, maybe outside of Bill de Blasio, to ever actually inhabit City Hall has a municipal building, and Rudy Giuliani gets nothing. Yeah. But no, no, but uh, in Staten Island, as I said originally, uh, he is, I mean, there's... The Trinity is God the Father, who we're never really, we're never exposed to. The, the Jews are, it's Hashem, you know, from the Old Testament. <laughs> Jesus, obviously, that's me. Then, before you were birthed again, it was the Holy Ghost. Then they decided to turn him into the Holy Spirit. And I said, is that the same person? And in my theology class at Brooklyn Prep, the Jesuits told me, don't you mind your own business? You ask too many questions. I said, well, whatever happened to Limbo? Remember, babies who weren't baptized were supposed to go to limbo, not limba after rush. Limbo, you ask too many questions. Well, of course they're going to go to heaven, Curtis. Well, what did you have limbo for? Well, they hadn't been baptized. Well, what happened to limbo? Let, let me brush up on my theology 101 over here. Uh, limbo really is purgatory. Is that is that not is that no, not right? No, for, no, no it, it's not. It's between heaven and purgatory. It is. But okay, I didn't even. So there you go. I'm learning See, something new on this Good Friday heaven, over here. Paradise. The temperatures are always like in paradise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say limbo was almost like paradise. Right. Purgatory was a little warm. Right. A little warm. You were getting the feeling that, uh-oh, if I go any further down, I'm going to need an asbestos suit. <laughs> and then hell was just a fiery furnace <laughs> in which you would burn in in per- perpetual existence of this world as we know it. Basically what Chicago is going to look like in about exactly, three months. Exactly. You know, Chicago Fire, remember? <laughs> See, you missed it. There was a place called Freedom Land where Co-op City is today. Right. Freedom Land was the best. 64 was the World's Fair, and because of that, nobody would go to Freedom Land. But years before that, Freedom Land, every day... They would have a reenactment of the Chicago fire where the cow, Elsie, kicked over the lantern. They would have a battle between the blue coats and the gray coats, a Civil War battle. They had all kinds of performances. You could go the whole day for a buck fifty and spend the entire day there. It was so good. 
was the best amusement park that ever existed. Maybe Palisades Park swings all day and after dark. By the way, it was not in Palisades Park. It was in Cliffside Park, and most of it was in Fort Lee, where the mayor uh, used to live in apartment 22H. <laughs> yes, he did. He, uh, I think he's living at Gracie now, maybe, but he probably ends up getting over the bridge. Now, speaking of all the heroes that you mentioned, all those men and women who have served uh, our city, the exodus continues, not only for them down in Florida, but so many other New Yorkers. It's nonstop. Yep. And here it is. I'm watching Fox News, and I see constant uh, political ads knocking DeSantis mm-hmm. by friends of Trump. Right. You know, he's not ready for prime time. He shouldn't be president now. He doesn't have the seasoning. You're a guy, as is your father, who goes back and forth. Uh, and really, Florida's like a second home for you. What? How do you see all this? Because the one time I went this year to Florida... Mm-hmm. Man, I almost didn't come back. It was like freedom land. It was like paradise. It was like a place like no other in the United States. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what happened. After working in the White House, after after January 20th of 2021, uh, my wife and I decided that uh, after canceling many vacations working in the White House with her, uh, we were going to spend a little bit of time in Florida, right? It was February. It was nice. And going from Washington, D.C., where you had the same types of – uh, mask mandates. We didn't have a vaccine mandate yet. That was coming. But the same type of really what felt like this uh, anti-freedom autocratic movement locally, going down to Florida, it felt completely free. It felt great. You could go to the beach. You could go out to dinner. People were felt optimistic down there. And uh, I realized what that feeling was. It was the same feeling that New York felt in the 90s, that optimism, that belief that, that the best is yet to come. We're getting only better over here. And my wife and I looked at each other. We came back to New York because I I came back up here, then ran for governor. And I looked and said, look, we've got to either be a part of this solution and either run to try to fix this place. Or I don't know if I can say that New York is the best place to raise my children. And and that to me, look, more than anything, as much as I love New York, uh, as much as I care about New York, and as much as it would hurt me to one day potentially leave here, I've got to do what's best for my family. And when you think about from an education standpoint and you think from a safety standpoint, it's not even close. My daughter would get a far better education, by the way, at half the cost in Florida than she would in New York. And by the way, she'd be a lot safer than she is in this city right now. No, absolutely. I remember I was down there for the week uh, assisting you in your campaign for Mm -hmm. the governorship. Remember, we were brainstorming. There was your father, Mike Kumbaricic. There was you and me. And then he invited me on to his radio show. Which was in the bathroom, if I remember correctly. His bathroom is larger than the apartment that I and Nancy and our rescue cat share. <laughs> it's such a huge bathroom. <laughs> I, I said, my God, this is larger than my apartment, Rudy. <laughs> and we did the program from there, but we did a lot of good brainstorming. But I tell you, every extra day I spend down there, mm-hmm. I realize what a dip- why so many people are continuing the exodus, even though now prices have skyrocketed in Florida. It's almost impossible to get insurance, flood insurance, home insurance. That's why a lot of Floridians, they move to Tennessee, where the land is a lot cheaper, obviously the same kind of tax structure, but you don't have problems getting insurance at all. The insurance rates there are astronomical, and yet 
the flight, the exodus continues to Florida. Well, look, and you're absolutely right, and you could see in the prices that it's actually not even getting comparable to Manhattan. Actually, in Palm Beach, it's far higher than it is in Manhattan right now, and West Palm is getting comparable to Manhattan. But going back to the Trump-DeSantis thing, uh, and I'll be really quick on this because I know we've got to wrap up here before John Katzimatidis comes in and joins me at 7 o'clock, and we give you a little bit of a break before your 96-hour run. Um, look, Santos has done an amazing job down in Florida. I think the best person who's had the best messaging on this in the Trump camp has been Laura Trump, who said he's done such a good job down in Florida. We need to keep him in Florida for four more years instead of going and trying to undercut him. I will say DeSantis, though, and the big difference between him and Trump, Trump can be the most charming person in the world. DeSantis, I don't know if he has that charm factor. I've been in the room twice with him now, and both times he's lost the crowd. Trump, I've never seen lose a crowd. Mm. You heard it from Andrew. He's like back and forth. Bing, 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 bing. Ricochet rabbit. I'm with Trump, though. No, no ricochet in there. I like DeSantis. I like DeSantis, too. I, I like DeSantis, too. For governor of Florida, and then maybe DeSantis in 28. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we continue on. Uh, Sid Rosenberg back on Monday. He's across the pond in jolly old England. Uh, but we will carry on, and as Andrew mentioned, I am uh, in my marathon. I am setting a Guinness World Record for most hours of broadcasting within four days. So we had good Thursday, today good Friday, tomorrow good Saturday, and then Easter Sunday. And I will have completed the task all here on WABC, which sometimes the acronym stands for Always Broadcasting Curse. Seventy-seven WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the morning. But you say he's just a friend. Oh, you're my best friend. Seventy-seven WABC. The digital dollar could give the feds control of your money. Get the digital dollar report. Call 1-800-862-6970 and also receive a $1,000 credit from Priority Gold to protect your money. Or just go to digitaldollarreport.com. Please note, the information provided does not constitute financial or investment advice. Music from is that Sydney uh, Rosenberg music? This is John Casmatidis. It's seven o'clock, and we're here. Me and Andrew Giuliani gonna uh, we're gonna carry it on to ten o'clock, and we have some interesting people. I'm sure there's gonna be some yelling, some screaming, <laughs> and, and, and uh, I'm glad I got a young guy defending me here. You know, John, if we actually get these uh, crossed up in terms of some of the guests on at the same time over here, we could hold, have a whole lot of yelling and screaming. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> and uh, Raul, I got, I finally got here. I had Raul from an Uber driver. Raul, right? I made it straight here in four minutes. So wait a second. You have uh, just getting a hold of this. You are uh, worth billions of dollars. You own this incredible station that you've put together, and you have an Uber driver that's driving you here. Well, I didn't want to bring my driver in at five o'clock in the morning. Uh, you're you know? too nice. You're too nice, I, I, John. You, you want to know something? You're right. 
You're right. You're too nice. I mean, I, I just, uh, there was no purpose. I mean, it's, uh, uh, but uh, I'm here and uh, uh, I'm working double shift the last uh, few days. And where, where do you get the, where do you get the motivation, John, to continue pushing the way that you do? I mean, look, you, you know, I said that I, I, we had a book party last right. night. And we had 400 people at the book party, and they wanted me to speak. And um, that question came up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, WABC, I'm not doing it for the money. Right. I'm not doing it. I think we have a responsibility. I have a responsibility. Uh, Judge Weinberg works with us. Uh, uh, your, your dad. Right. Uh, and uh, Governor Patterson, Governor Pataki was on last night. Um, we have to bring back our city and our state. Yeah. And even more, our country. Yeah. We are in deep doo-doo. Yeah. I mean, uh, there has never been such division since the Civil War, people tell me. And, 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 and there's people out there that don't, they're tiptoeing through the tulips. They don't realize what the heck is going on that we do have enemies. Right. We do have enemies. We do have people that want to change our lifestyle. And uh, yesterday we were playing taps uh, for the mayor Chicago. for Chicago. And might as well play taps for San Francisco. Yeah. Who? <laughs> On cue. Lou, On cue. Lou always knows how to hit the right notes. Literally. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's very sad what's happening to our democratic cities. Yeah. It is. And and I don't understand it. I, I had a long talk with your, your father the other day. I don't understand why people, in, even Chicago, would vote. You, you have two choices. Vote for law and order mm-hmm. or vote vote for disorder. Yeah. I, and, and, and I talked to uh, Paul Vallis yesterday. Right. And he lost by two, two points. Oh. And he says there's 100,000. He hasn't. He has not conceded. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, "I, I uh, congratulate him on being ahead at this time." Uh, he, there's a hundred thousand ballots uh, uncounted, for, right. uncounted. And so I guess uh, he's waiting it out. Yeah. Um, and uh, but under the Chicago uh, uh, Board of uh, Election system, if they're short ballots, what do they, they call Philadelphia for more? Yeah. You know, sadly, you're right, John. And it's one of these things where when I look at and I know that, you know, you got to be very careful in terms of how you talk about 2020. But I was just with Tom Sullivan a couple of days ago out in the Rockaways who was up and he kept on getting ballots that came in and lost by 15 votes. And the person who oversaw that judicial case was appointed by the mother of the Democratic nominee. So we have these inconsistencies, irregularities that happen with so many different places that we've seen in Philadelphia, in Chicago, in Milwaukee, in Atlanta, that make it tougher for Americans to really feel like their vote actually matters, like it actually counts. And that's a real problem, regardless of what side of the aisle that you're on. Now, I, I heard you and, uh, and, and uh, Curtis arguing before. We uh, never argue. I love Curtis. Curtis well, loves everybody. He never having, argues. Having a, a robust discussion. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We argue all the time. Having a robust discussion. <laughs> and look, I, I have so many Democratic friends because of the days I – and I think your father was a Democrat at right. one time. 
Yes. And uh, I have a lot of Democratic friends, and a lot of them are common-sense Democrats. Mm -hmm. But the only item, they don't have the courage to stand up against the crazy Democrats. Yeah. Why? I don't understand it. I think they're worried about getting primaried, right? And that's where it comes from. I mean, some of that, uh, and one of the things that I said, John, after uh, the first election day in Chicago, where Vallis got 30-something percent, Johnson got about 20 percent, was you got to be really careful here. I know that Vallis won by 12 points in this plurality, but you're going to have the lefties, the chaos candidates, if you will, that are going to come together and they're going to back Johnson. And it's a long way from 33 or 34 percent, which Vallis got up to 50 percent. And sadly, I hate to say that I was right about this. Uh, but, John, it's it's tough to when you look at what the D.A. in Manhattan has done here, when you look at what some of the D.A.s have done around the country, uh, it's tough to not think that they really are pushing for a communist or socialist society in the sense that they're going to undermine what's great about capitalism. They're going to undermine what's great about our republic and our democracy. And by doing that, by undermining those very fabrics right there, they believe that they can create a communist society. And they're going to get it right this time, even though they've got it wrong dozens and dozens of times before. And I could look no further than my wife and her family who well, grew up in Lithuania and saw the, the terrible stuff of the Soviet Union. Well, right now. We're on the line with us. We have one tough Democrat. So tough. She takes no crap from anybody. With us today, a calling in from a far, far away land, uh, must be on vacation, uh, is Melissa DeRosa. She was secretary to Governor Cuomo. Uh, the word secretary doesn't mean you take shorthand. In Albany, the word secretary is like you you're the boss. You're the chief of staff. Nobody gets to the governor unless they go through you. Melissa DeRosa, welcome to WABC. Good morning, guys. How you doing? I we're waiting for you to to to, to, to wake us up. <laughs> well, I heard some of the conversation before I got on. And first of all, John, I have to say, I, I think that the reason you're a billionaire is because you don't spend money stupidly. So I think the Uber on the way to the office as opposed to a driver or a $600 car service like AOC took to the Met Gala is the way you stay a billionaire. So I commend you on making, continuing to make smart financial choices. It was over $22. Well, that's also crazy. And I took a cab the other day from 55th up to 77th, and I almost fell over when I saw the taxes that were added onto it. And Albany is talking about increasing taxes again. So, you know, just <laughs> now listen, adding to the affordability crisis. Where do we start off this morning? There's so many things going on. And first of all, I was talking with Andrew here, and I said, uh, uh, people are talking about there's never been so much division in our country since the Civil War uh, 140 years ago. No, John, I couldn't agree with you more. It's, you know, it really feels like we have been reduced to tribalism at this point, where everyone is sort of pitted against each other. And we are at a moment in our city, in our state, in our country where the stakes couldn't be higher, and we really need people to pull together and to get through a lot of this post-COVID trauma, a lot of the crime, which is spiraling out of control in a number of American cities, homelessness, affordability across the board. And, you know, the opposite is happening. And, and I, you know, I see what happened in the Chicago race, um, which, you know, and I heard you guys talking about it, you know, and we talked about this a little bit the other night when I was on. I feel like you govern, you know, you you 
politics is you campaign in poetry, you govern in prose. And I think this newly elected mayor is going to learn very quickly that you cannot govern a city like Chicago by saying things like defund the police and not getting behind law and order. And, you know, a city as blue as New York, Andrew's father, you know, won in a city as blue as New York because people wanted law and order and wanted someone to pick up the clean up the crime issue. And the question to me when I look at a place like Chicago is how bad do things have to get before the people there get it? So, I, you know, I guess we'll see. You know, uh, Melissa, you wrote an article a couple days ago after the indictment of President Trump uh, by Alvin Bragg uh, saying that uh, the New York indictment looks political. Now, now you and I certainly are on the opposite end of the political spectrum here. Um, but you talk about how this threatens uh, democracy. Uh, tell me a little bit more about your thought process in terms of uh, what you think this indictment looks like. You know, look, it's it's really troubling to me when I look at this, and, and it's a larger conversation, but, you know, I think that Alvin Bragg is somebody who sort of had his back up against a wall. I think that Mark Pomerantz, who was the former ADA who worked in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, you know, very vocally criticized him for not bringing a, di- a different case against the Trump Foundation that Tish James is pursuing civilly. And I think that Bragg was embarrassed, and I think that the left was being highly critical of him. And so what is he do he decides i have to bring something i need to bring something to show i'm going to be tough on trump and that's not how the justice system is supposed to work and so when you look at you know and i wrote that article before the charges were unveiled which i was taking a little bit of a risk because Mm -hmm. as i said in my piece i didn't know if there was going to be some massive smoking gun or some major scheme to defraud or something but we were all right it sort of was what we thought it would be was what we got and so what you have is this stormy daniels you know, pay off to this woman adult film actress who, you know, he paid $130,000 to at the height of the presidential campaign in 2016 through Michael Cohen. And you're relying sort of on the word of a convicted perjurer and a convicted tax evader and campaign finance fraudster and Michael Cohen, who has sort of reinvented himself as an anti-Trump person and now has like a platform every day on MSNBC, which is just crazy to me. In any other circumstance, they would never give a person like that a platform. But because he agrees with them politically, they put him on almost daily. And, you know, the whole thing just looks political. It's a books and records case, which has a two-year statute of limitations. So they're blue past the statute of limitations, and they upcharged it to tie it into campaign finance and say, you know, he was really doing this to hide this from the voters, and so it should have been a campaign finance disclosure. And, you know, the thing that really gets to me on this is that the Southern District of New York, your father was U.S. attorney for the Southern District, my former mother-in-law was a, you know, U.S. attorney for the Southern District, Mm -hmm. this tradition of really tough prosecutors who run the Southern District opted not to do this very same case. And so it's like you're telling me the Southern District didn't bring this case and you're going to bring this case, Alvin Bragg. And can you really think of a worse messenger than a guy who downcharges everything and who gives guest appearance, you know, desk appearance tickets for crimes versus holding them accountable? What in his first 100 day memo, if you remember, he said that he was going to downgrade a number of, of these crimes and not charge them appropriately because, in his opinion, they shouldn't be you know, treated as crimes. And then to do this. And so. In my opinion, if you're going to charge the former president of the United States with a crime 
And you're going to do something like this that you know is going to divide the nation, that you know is going to be really politically intense and, and make the division worse. It better be for a damn good reason. And this is not it. So, you, you know, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, John. Well, so, well I was, was going to say then, that we had a big discussion yesterday on uh, uh, on ethics. Uh, in theory, in theory, in, in good theory, uh, that some of these DAs are violating their oath of office about getting their job done. You know, it, well, if you're talking about by not prosecuting crimes, I agree with you because district attorneys are not elected to set laws, right? That is the job of the legislature. That is the job of Congress. That is the job of the mayor, the governor, the city council. It is not the job of prosecutors. Now, Selective prosecution, every prosecution that you choose to do is by, you know, its very nature selective, right? You pick and choose which cases to pursue. But when you decide that you're not going to bring whole swaths of cases and categories of cases because you believe in your opinion that something shouldn't be a crime, well, then run for Congress or run for legislature, you know, Senate or Assembly and change the laws. It's not your job to write the laws. It's your job to enforce the laws. I agree 100 uh, percent. Uh, their job is to enforce the laws. Their job is to, to, to follow the law without looking at the person's color, without looking at the person's skin, without looking at the, uh, at the person. Equal justice for all. And in the last few years, there's no equal justice for all. And, John, you said, you know, looking without looking at people's color. That's not even skin color. That's also political color, red or blue, because we're yes. seeing this being yes. uh, a case where you have Alvin Bragg, who got 81% of the vote in Manhattan, and he's playing to that 81% saying, you know what, I'm going to have enough of them that will stick me, that will stick with me, they'll be motivated by this, uh, where I can go after the guy who represents the, the red corner in this, who's we Donald have, Trump, and nail him. We have a civil war going on in our in our country uh and uh we also have an economic war going on in the world and i talked about that on fox yesterday and we can talk about it later on too uh there's a war going on melissa on where the united states wants uh 55 to 65 dollar oil and it's very very possible to have it there and uh uh china Russia, our enemies, want $8,500 oil. For whom, uh, you know, and, and there's an economic war going because in the last year or so, year and a half, a trillion dollars of wealth has moved from, from the United States and North America over to Saudi Arabia, Russia. We, the money that moved over to Russia fueled the war in the Ukraine. So it's a vicious circle. What's going on? Well, so I want to get back one. I want to say one quick thing on your on your prior point, and then let's talk about the economic ahead, side. No, we're, we're here to talk about everything, Melissa. You can stay as long as you want. <laughs> well, so the one point I do want to make is, and I, I agree, I think we are in the press. I think that the country's never been more divided than it has been before. But it's you have to hold both sides accountable. And you look at what happened yesterday in Tennessee, where they where they expelled two members of the legislature who were holding a peaceful protest on the floor on gun violence. And this is, you know, within two weeks of those babies being shot and killed at the church school in Tennessee, you know, it's year after year, more 
or higher body counts and the, you know, the conversation ratchets up and ratchets up and nothing happens. And there was a peaceful protest with three members of the legislature on the floor in the Tennessee House yesterday. And the Tennessee House voted to expel two of them, which are two black men and not the third, which was a white woman in her 60s. And what kind of message does that send? Number one, about peaceful assembly and free speech and the, the right to speak up, but also why are you expelling the two black men and not the white woman? And, and I'm saying this, I bring this up, and I think it's important because I know, Dan, you care about balance in the sensible middle. And I think when we hold the left accountable, which I do, I think, pretty loudly um, for someone of my own party more than most, you have to call it out on both sides. Because in order to get... I, I call it out on both sides all the time. So I'm glad yeah. you're calling it out on both sides. But so we, Melissa, that, we, we have to take a break, but I want you to... St- can you stay on? And we'll come back right yes, after yes, the break. Yes. Can we take a break and we're gonna keep Melissa on and we're gonna come right back. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a help from my friends. Please, baby, can't you see my mind's a burning hell? Well, we're back, and uh, hopefully, uh, we have it with Melissa, uh, one of my favorite people, and one strong. Uh, one strong lady. Uh, Melissa, are you there? I am here, John. Where where were we? I mean, uh, let, let me tell you something. We have a civil war. We have an economic war. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you, take, you take the floor. No, I think, look, I think that what we're seeing is that partisanship is at an all-time high. And I think that I just don't know the way out of it. And what makes me very nervous, and I wrote about this in my piece this week, is that when you think about every other developed nation in the country or in the world, excuse me, first world countries typically after two to three hundred years of government ends up there ends up being this kind of hyperpartisanship, rife, civil war, and then something else comes. And we saw on January sixth how sort of delicate democracy is and tenuous democracy is. And it makes me very nervous and uncomfortable when you look at how hyperpartisan the press has become and when you see what's going on in terms of prosecutorial misconduct across the board not just you know what we talked about this morning but i see it everywhere i look going back to comey going back to Barr, going you can see it all over the place and it you know a society can only take so much before it finally erupts and you layer into that 
all of the economic issues you're talking about, John, the affordability, the inflation, the unease in the stock market, you know, it, people are speculating potentially a recession on the horizon. And at what point does the whole thing blow? And so I think that, you know, this is a dangerous moment and we've got to be trying to bring people together. You know, John, I was actually perusing through your book a couple of days ago. And I remember at the very end, you've got a great little section called Counsel by Cats and Matitis, where at 16 points, you talk about all the important little points there. And point 10 is the right time to negotiate is when the other person needs the deal. And that got me to thinking a little bit about your former boss, Melissa, because, you know, I've been very critical. I ran a gubernatorial campaign where, uh, you know, I think some of the shortcomings of the Cuomo administration, I tried to highlight through a lot of that. But one of the things that I would say would have never happened under a Cuomo administration is what happened at the very end of last year when the members of the Assembly and the State Senate got called in for a special session to get a $40,000 raise. And that got me to thinking about that point. She ultimately lost her leverage. How is that playing out right now during this budget negotiation? I know you and I talked before when she could not get her judge through that was so important. But how is that playing out now, considering she lost such a big leverage point? I mean, Andrew, it's, it's the word debacle does not, you know, do justice to what's happening in Albany right now. So, I mean, look. Kathy Hochul comes in, you know, everyone gave, gives her a pass. I think the media especially gave her a pass because she was a woman, because she wasn't Andrew Cuomo. They didn't hold her accountable for a lot of what I thought was the very obvious pay to play going on in the first year of her administration and a lot of the incompetence that was going on in the first year of her administration. And the problem is when you don't hold people accountable for those things, history repeats itself. So, she almost loses the election to Lee Zeldin, which was mind-boggling given the pure political makeup of the state, right? Only 22% Republicans in the entire state of New York. She only beats him by five and a half points. And then what is her first act that she does? She gives away the pay raise for free to the Albany politicians, which the pay raise is the greatest point of leverage any politician has. George Pataki knew that. Andrew Cuomo knew that. It is your point to leverage the moment in order to get other things for the state done that the legislature wouldn't want to give. She gives it to them for free because her whole mantra is, I'm not Andrew Cuomo. And it's like, look, lady, no one confuses you for Andrew Cuomo, I promise you. So you don't need to keep, you know, reinforcing that point by doing stupid things. So she gives away the pay raise for free. They turn around and screw her on the judge. They make her the first governor in history of the state of New York to lose a court of appeals nomination fight on the floor. Hector LaSalle, respected jurist, sitting up there all by himself in the balcony of the Senate, of the, uh, the Senate chamber in the state capitol while his vote goes down, while she's sitting in the front row of the Michael Kors fashion show with Anna Wintour. You couldn't have scripted the moment any better to sort of summarize the state of things in Albany. And now you get to the budget. And the budget is so hugely important mm -hmm. this year. There's so many important things on the line. And nothing is getting done. And last week, they went home. They went home before April 1st. They went home on March 31st. Their constitutional <laughs> obligation to get the budget done by April 1st. And on March 31st, they said, we're packing it in. We're going home for the weekend. And they go home. They come back Monday, and she gives them a one-week extender, and they say, we're going to we're gonna, we're gonna work real hard, and we're going to get this done. And then the staff went home. The holidays started. The members went home. Everyone's off with their families and on vacation. I promise you, Andrew, John, if, I, if Andrew Cuomo were still governor, if I was still secretary, 
we would have held their feet to the fire. You use the pressure of the holidays to get them to broker a deal. Absolutely. You keep those you keep those members in Albany while they're sweating because their husbands and wives and children are saying, we've got plans this weekend. And you say, no, 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 no. You're not going anywhere until we get this done, which is our constitutional obligation to the people of New York. And you use that leverage in order to get them to start cutting deals they don't necessarily want to cut. But the problem with this governor is she does not understand leverage. Well, she I'm, does I'm not hoping, understand I'm how hoping, to negotiate. I'm hoping she's getting the courage. You know, she's a tough Irish girl. I'm hoping she's getting the courage because the, the city and the st- uh, politics aside, the city and, and the state uh, depend on it. I mean, 484,000 people have left already. At what point? Look, John, I, I appreciate your optimism, but I don't know what she has done to make you continue to be hopeful. Oh, no, no. I mean, this is like- just this is hopeful because we're going to fall off the cliff. New York State is going to fall off the cliff if she doesn't succeed at least a little bit. You know, to that point, Melissa, let me ask. By the way, we've got a minute left, so so, let's get in whatever we got. Very quickly, then. Who is the adult in the room right now? I'm I'm looking at Hochul. I'm looking at Stuart Cousins. I'm looking at Hasty, and I'm just wondering, who's the adult in that room? You know, I don't know if it's who's the adult in the room. I think it's who's the person in the room who can get something done. And right now, I mean, my money would be closer on the two leaders doing a two-way budget and going around her than them landing this plane. Because they're circling around the drain without any direction at this point. And I don't know what's going to ultimately break the logjam. Well, thank you, uh, Melissa DeRosa. And uh, we, we fight together to for, for our city, our state. And thank you for everything you do, and and we'll catch up again real soon. And get ready for your regular show. Great to talk with you guys. Talk soon. Thank you. Uh, Andrew, I understand you. uh, That that was a great discussion. I mean, look, it's the facts of life. By the way, we have had Chad Lopez has entered the studio. How are you, Chad? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Great show this morning. Happy Good Friday. I'm sorry. You got to duck me a couple bucks this week. You're you're 12 (laughs) minutes late. You know, you know. But, John, do you pay him to do 20-hour days? Because, honestly, if, if he's only in here no. 20 hours, Curtis, I don't know. I see him all the Curtis time. Curtis gets paid for 60-hour weekends. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. The loveliness of Paris. Wow, Paris is probably, uh, is that back, is, is that civilized uh, city? Have you been to Paris lately? <laughs> I have not been to Paris lately, but it is a beautiful I heard that there, there was some uh, rioting in Paris and, uh. Yes. Uh, and, uh. Well, it's. Uh, uh, you know the mistake that they made? Right. And we'll talk about it uh, more. Uh, and, and Chad, have you been to Paris lately at all? No, I haven't. haven't. Now, the mistake is, and one of the reasons for Brexit, Mm -hmm. and nobody talks about it because they don't want to sound like they're prejudiced, Mm -hmm. was because people could go from any country and just come and live there. Right. The Germans are overrun by the Muslim community. Mm -hmm. The French are overrun by the Muslim community. And my position as a Greek background... Mm -hmm. and Italian background, and you have Greek background, or right. you have Italian, Italian. background, is Italy 
belongs to the Italians. Mm -hmm. Germany belongs to the Germans, France to the French. Mm -hmm. And the British went from 68% British or something like that, don't remember the exact numbers, down to 48% British. Mm -hmm. And the British said, this is crazy. Yeah. This is our country. Well, we don't want to be invaded. Well, you could see that they and, and that's the problem the European community. See, I can believe them having trade. You know what I mean by mm-hmm. trade? You know, hey, we, we agree no barriers on trade. Right. We agree on that. But to, to have your country invaded. Yeah. And mm-hmm. think about the scary thing is uh, I have a cold rush over my head, over my head right now. Is that what Joe Biden is doing? Well, that's that's a great point. Are we point. being invaded? When what's going on with the southern border? Now we're seeing is it in the it, northern border. And, and is it the people that planned the invasion of Europe are planning the invasion of the United States of America? Well, it's my a, God, well, that is a scary uh, thought. It, it is, and you could see it absolutely right. You see it in all these different European countries, and that was really you started seeing that the last ten, twelve years or so. Uh, but one of the things that uh, I think they're seeing so much protest over is a discussion that we're having here in the United States of America. But politicians are very, very careful to talk about this because they realize they have to get they're elected in two stiff. to four years. They're what, stiff. what they're talking about right now is trying to raise the retirement age in France two years from, I believe, 64 to 66 because – they fiscally cannot actually operate unless they raise that age. I you think know, really like be, five you know, or six you, years. You're, politics, you're gonna have but, to be like a doctor. Uh, drop your drawers. I want to see if you have any testicles. <laughs> <laughs> well, know? I'll tell you, you'll you'll see that there are people that will not have a lot of that <laughs> in politics right here. As as I think you you know pretty well in the sense that you've uh, you obviously know, been in this uh, a long it's time. It's crazy. But. Well, you know, uh, on the phone with us right now, I believe is uh, Todd Shapiro, who has. Relocated certain days a week up to the great city of Albany, uh, and he's a good friend of ta- of uh, Chad Lopez's. He, and- he wasn't even laughing, Todd, when he said the great city of Albany either. He was he was saying with a straight face. You talk about an international traveler too, right? In- international traveler, Costa Rica one week, uh-huh. Havana the next week. Uh, Todd Shapiro, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Thank you very much, Sean, for letting me call in and. I got to tell you something. How is the Albany, great How is the great city of Albany? Albany is becoming the new Paris. I tell you, people <laughs> come out there. It's, you know, it's crazy. People talk a language you don't even know up there. <laughs> the, the, only, the only thing missing is Andrew Giuliani as our as our as our governor. Oh because my Andrew goodness! Giuliani was the governor, right? We wouldn't know who the enemies were between Republicans and Democrats. <laughs> you know, now it's Democrats against Democrats. Yeah. And it's it's crazy up there. It's almost I call it the war room. It is a war room. But well, you know, Todd Shapiro opened up a great facility up there. It's a club uh, that uh, that uh, politicians hang out. Tell, tell us about the war room. Well, first, I want to thank Chad Lopez, <laughs> who taught me what a war room was really about. <laughs> are you uh, talking about the war room at ABC? Todd, are you running for political office? I'm just checking on this. You could put a war room in New York City. We could pull one up in Albany. Thank you, Chad, for that inspiration that made my place into a war room. I I really love Chad. Well, thank you for for making us better at our game here in the city with this war room. Uh, Thank you for making us better at war. That's right. right. (laughs) No, but let let, let me tell you something. 
the, the best thing about budget fights People drink a lot of alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> People should be fighting. They should be killing each other. They should be attacking each other. The, the more, the more that they're up there, the more they're arguing about budgets and about um, court of appeals judges and all that stuff. They're drinking. They're partying. They're having a good time. Well, you, what's interesting, um, Todd? Let me ask because in doing this, I'm sure you kind of looked and you said, "Okay, where are we going to get kind of our major revenues?" What does what does it look like in terms of your projections for the first half of the year when you have the assembly and the state senate in session versus the second half of the year when the state senate and the assembly is not in session except for maybe the occasional special session that's called by the governor? Now, first, I thought the weekends were gonna were gonna suck. Right. I thought it was gonna be terrible. Right. Because, you know, the, 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 the lobbyists, the Republicans, the mm-hmm. Democrats, the socialists, the conservatives—they're all gone. But you know what? Albany has a lot of people that live in Albany. There's over 100,000 people that live in Albany, Mm -hmm. probably as much as people live in John's building. But it's just it's um, it's a whole different dynamic there. It's really um, the people that work at the staffs for these people, you know, their their families. There's a lot of people up in Albany. You wouldn't believe I'm 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 in the city. I'm right across the street from, you know, from the Capitol. I'm right across the street from the Renaissance and the the, um, the Capitol Convention Center. So everywhere I go, it's walking traffic. There's always somebody coming in for a conference. You, you understand, people got to support, you know, they work for the um, the education department, the, the people that sell things. We're, we're, we're kicking ass. It's great. It's wonderful. It's busy. But I'll tell you one thing. One thing that's missing is what your dad did when he was the mayor. What? When he was the mayor, he him and Peter Ballone used to sit once a week, yeah. even though he was a Democrat. They brought peace together. They brought love together. You know, it's not like that anymore. It's like you, almost like you well, know, I, I that, saw that in the movies. That new movie, Gotham, yeah. that shows uh, uh, your dad, right. uh, uh, Rudy Giuliani, with Peter Vallone, mm-hmm. uh, a Democrat, and they sat and they sat together for what was best in New York City. Yeah. And then Rudy Giuliani and George Pataki didn't like each other, but after at nine eleven. They said, forget about not liking each other. We're going to sit together to solve the problems of 9-11. Yeah, and, I mean, it was a more civilized uh, country, a more civilized city. Newt Gingrich and Bill Clinton didn't like each other. But they sat around and they did what's best for America. And somewhere in the last 20 years, we lost that. Well, John, and to your point, when I think about where Todd is right now in Albany, there's a DA there who's a common-sense Democrat who's calling out the issues that you're having with bail reform, and the crazy progressives up in Albany won't even give that person the opportunity to be heard on the state Senate floor. So you're absolutely right. We're not having what Todd Shapiro highlighted before, which is the Valones and the Giuliani's able to sit down to be able to get on the public square and to be able to talk about this uh, in uh, the state Senate or in the city council. That's why, thank goodness, believe it or not, we have the WABCs uh, of the world, and especially what you're doing, John, because I know you took some heat for having Andrew Cuomo on a couple of times, but I've always said this. As much as I disagree with Andrew Cuomo, and let me be very clear, I disagree with him vehemently. I think it's so important that he has a voice and to do it on this station, and guess what? Then it's important for myself, for the Rudy Giuliani's of the world, to look and say, no, you got this wrong. You got this wrong. This is where we're going to push back. But- we're going to rename. Uh, Todd, we want you to put out a press release. We're going to rename this building where WABC is as 
the Daily Planet. <laughs> <laughs> no, let me tell you, John, if there's any Superman, it's you and Chad. <laughs> what you guys have done, you know, trying to save the city and trying to save stuff by, by giving common sense, where, you know, all sides of the aisle a chance to be able to speak their mind. And I had I had lunch on Monday with the district attorney of Albany, and he told you, all he kept on talking about, you know, I'm, you know, the guy's the DA. He's doing crime busting every day. He's, he's against bail reform. He's really he's he's pretty much on the same you know Kool Aid as everyone at ABC. <laughs> but what he kept on saying was he didn't care about seeing. He kept on saying I, I what I said on ABC Radio. What I said on ABC Radio. He loves 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 WABC Radio. The, the district attorney up there. He he thinks it's the greatest place. He goes. I wish WABC had a studio right next to me because he goes. It's amazing that I'm able to get my voice and my opinions out there that I'm not able to get in my own city, which is kind of ah, true. Thank you, Todd. Yeah, and and that's amazing. But I got to tell you, I saw that time well, and, and time again door, on the campaign trail. Yeah. To his club, he opened up another club for cigars. Oh, very nice. And he got he just got the exclusive license. Uh, uh, for Albany from Padron. You know, I used to, oh, from wow. Padron. Oh, my father loves the Padrons. We might actually, actually yeah. have to take a trip up to Albany, oh, which after God, I lost it, I know, believe it or not, I know. I might actually <laughs> have to just have a cigar with you over there, Todd. That sounds great, but it's nice to know you mentioned this. And I would joke around. I'd say, look, for those that criticized the sodas that Bloomberg was cracking down on and, and the cigars and all that, I said, look, when we're talking about sodas and cigars, we figured out murders, rapes, and violent crime. So we're talking about, you know, what's less more important de- What's stuff. more deadly? Exactly, exactly. Uh, but they don't have any of those restrictions in Albany, do they, Todd? So you can open up a cigar you place. Well, listen, you can't, you, can't, you, you, can't, you can't drink alcohol. But you, you could open up cigar places. Um, there's a bill right now that's being considered to bring alcohol into cigar lounges okay. and stuff like that. The problem is with New York City. And I think that the the, the the later mayor tried to restrict everything. You can't bring back, like, these cigar places with alcohol. You know, it's terrible because there's also a 75% tax that was added by, by, by the state mm-hmm. for, for cigars. Every time you light up a cigar, you think you're paying one price, you're paying another price. When you walk into a cigar place, it might take $20. Then they add 75% on you're really paying $35 for that cigar. Which probably you know at one point used to be a five or ten dollar cigar. It's so crazy today. You're not getting the price what you think you're paying for it today, and you got to be careful. Same when it comes to like when you go with these credit card um, numbers. Mm-hmm. You think you're paying one price. They don't tell you it's a three or four percent until you get your bill, what? which a lot of people are getting really angry about and and frustrated about. You're not getting the the type of stuff. But you, it's not like you're walking into a good grocery like you know the Agostinos or Christides. And you know what you're getting, and you know you're paying for that food and what price it is. Sometimes you're really confused, and it's not always what you, what you think you get. Yeah, the hidden costs there. Uh, you know, And it's one of the reasons, I think, why, and this is not just with premium cigars, but I think you could look at other commerce, and it's why other people are shopping or looking in other states other than New York, because you have this flight to over-regulation. Andrew, Andrew, there's an exodus. Absolutely. And, and uh, we had... Uh, uh, Paul Zuber from the Business Council on the other day, uh, and uh, we also had Kathy Wild uh, from the New York City Partnership. Right. There's an exodus going on. 484,000 New Yorkers have left in 24 months. And now if they start attacking businesses, mm-hmm. businesses are going to start leaving. Absolutely. Yeah. So if it's an attack on the consumer 
by taxing people, mm-hmm. an attack on uh, on the normal citizens. They can't even walk around, but it causes it a crime, an attack on businesses, on overregulation. Yeah. Well, you might as well, you know, close up the sidewalks and, and close up. It, it's an it's John, a to your point here that it's not just New York, though, right? It's it's San Francisco, all, all these places. The, look what the just Democratic, happened. Democratic, yeah. I, I, you know, I don't play Democratic Republican politics, mm. but it seems like the Democratic cities are dying, right? And there and and, they, and people are going towards the Republican cities because they believe in law and order and less taxation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So at, at a certain point, you know. What is it? Is it the unions that are pushing the socialist situation? I don't know. I, uh, at a certain point, we're going to find out the truth. Yeah. I, I think in, in this scenario, it's it's overregulation. And, Todd, I'll let you, I'll let you add to that right there. I know we've got to go to break here in, in a minute or so. But it's overregulation. It's it's government thinking they know what's best. And, and what they're doing is they push people out of the state by overregulation, by not actually doing what they should do from a criminal justice standpoint uh, and from an education standpoint as well, where people look and say, you know what, maybe my child can get a better education in a different state. Wait, wait, it's even worse. We talked about the other day. You know, the education system in America, we're number 56 or 58. Todd, after this conversation, I need a drink. You know where I can get a drink? Well, <laughs> uh, let me say, don't, you know, don't make love, make war, and come to the war room in Albany. I appreciate uh, the opportunity well, of coming on there. And John and, and Shapiro, the we also have to get our, our, our friend, uh, the the Reverend, and we're going to make him Archbishop of uh, of Albany. Yeah, but one thing John always tells you, he won't go to Albany without a passport. Getting the job, it's John would give you a million dollars not to have to go to Albany. <laughs> Thank you, Todd Shapiro. Enjoy uh, the Todd. weekend, and uh, hopefully we catch going. up. And uh, happy Passover, Todd. Happy Passover, God bless everyone. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, which song is this? I left my heart in San Francisco. You're going to leave your body in San Francisco. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, there it is. San Francisco was a beautiful city. Yeah. They're destroying it. Yeah. They're destroying Chicago. They're destroying Cleveland. They're destroying Detroit. I mean, it's sad. Yeah. you got to cry for America. Well, that's what happened with the guy. He was leaving the CEO, right, for the cash app. Yeah. And he didn't get out in time and... And was going to Miami. Exactly. Exactly. And and look, it's a slippery slope when we look at New York right now. It is we we are teetering on an edge where, you know, crime has gone up, but it's not what it was in the eighties and very early nineties. But we could get there quick. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if the control room will tell me what's going on, we can go straight to the news department. I think I think we're cutting out over here. I don't know. For the news, right? Yeah. Is the yeah, news department we're head, we're here break. today? <laughs> yep, they're here. Today. Did they take off? No, 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 no. Noam has been doing it from five a.m. So, all right, here it is. Let's we'll take a little break and come find on out back. What's going on? This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Seventy-seven WABC. Unchain my heart. John, I want to sing, but if I start singing, we'll lose people very quickly. Because well, the only thing do I do that. worse than singing is uh, dance. You know, uh, uh, Sid is over there in uh, in London. He's listening to the show. He wants to make sure that we're 
we're not as good as him. <laughs> and, and John, you know, you're getting messages from I got from nothing where? to say to that. So I got messages uh, from Zurich, my friend oh. uh, Mario, and uh, and Mario. Our signals coming in clo- nicely in Zurich. It's coming in nicely in the West Coast. Oh. We're we're all over the country and. And we even had one from Australia before. So do we get seven continents? Do we get to Antarctica, too? Is there is no, there a blip Antarctica, on Antarctica? we got to work I, on Antarctica. we got to work on Antarctica. Yeah. And as Larry Kudlow says, we have to work on solar system. <laughs> okay, we work the solar system, too, over here. I, I don't hear you. But I think our next guest, actually, is a guy who might know a little bit about the, I don't want to say solar system, but certainly get in well, there as a, we have assistant a good, secretary uh, of the Air Force. A good friend of ours, a West Point graduate, uh, former assistant secretary of the Air Force under Ronald Reagan, and uh, a man in the know, he knows what's going on in the world, and he's very, very much concerned. And uh, we have Ty McCoy. Ty, how are you this morning? I'm fine, Katz. How are you? And how's Andrew this morning? We're doing great. Ha- ha- happy Good Friday to you. A- Andrew is learning the business. I am learning so the business. don't be too tough on him. He's, he's learned from the best one. <laughs> That's true. And I'm- we got Chad Lopez uh, in the studio, too, the president of WABC. Good morning. Good morning, Chad. Now, we're concerned, and me and you have talked about it. What's going on in the world? I mean, uh, it looks like the evil empire is growing and growing and growing. And you you talk about it. Well, you're right. The evil empire is uh, is growing. In this case, it's kind of a little led by the uh, Chinese rather than the, the Russians. Uh, the Russians have now fallen into kind of a vassal state type of uh, situation. Uh, they're uh, attacked a Ukrainian uh, country that was much more ready to fight and much more ready to to take on outsiders. Uh, Putin had bad intelligence. Uh, he made bad judgments. He got carried away with his own rhetoric. And uh, he's finding that uh, he's having to mortgage his com- country. Uh, exports are down. The budget deficits are way up. Loyalty is uh, flowing outward. Uh, he's having to pay contract soldiers a lot to uh, fight. Uh, China is not helping that much. Uh, the arms manufacturing that he has in his country is being slowed down by sanctions. So he's getting in quite a pinch. And he is uh, hoping that uh, the Ukrainians and the Americans and the Europeans will tire of the war and uh, the like before before he does, before he runs out of gas. So I think that the uh, game is that the West feels that the Ukrainians should be given a chance to recover some territory that they've lost. And so I think they will support a counteroffensive that will come in, in the spring and summer. Uh, and then if that bogs down and not not able to achieve any breakthroughs, then I think it will set some new conditions that there may be some uh, pressure uh, all around to uh, negotiate and try to come up with something that's that's a ceasefire, an armistice, and so forth, uh, all the while while the Chinese are trying to position themselves to, you know, take over the global south and find markets for their goods there, and also find minerals. Ty, in terms of the Chinese, I want to get to that because you mentioned that there, right at the very beginning, you mentioned it again. One of the things I'm seeing now is that uh, 
China is actually upping their uh, their patrols around Taiwan. I see Mike Lawler is actually in Taiwan, our, our congressman from the Hudson Valley here in New York. I see uh, Koi talking about this as well. Um, are we ready? How ready is our U.S. military for a potential conflict uh, if we end up having an issue in Taiwan? Well, I think that, you know, we've uh, depleted a lot of uh, our reserves for, for munitions, uh, various modern-type munitions uh, by shipping to Ukraine. Uh, the Chinese know that. They're building up. And Afghanistan took the other half. Yeah, and Afghanistan, uh, we left a lot behind there, and that's probably being sold to uh, uh, the Russians and shipped to the Iranians and many other uh, bad places. So I think that uh, we would have to, uh, you know, really – divert our attention from uh, Ukraine, divert our attention from Europe if if a conflict broke out uh, in the Western Pacific uh, and, and we had to try with other allies out there to, to defend Taiwan. So I think it would be uh, somewhat difficult for with the repositioning to occur. Uh, I think we, we probably could do it, uh, but there would be some cost in, in lives and so forth if there was going to be a shooting war. You know, uh, going back and just kind of uh, talking a little more about that, when you look at how how the U.S. left Afghanistan about a year and a half ago, specifically giving up Bagram Air Force Base 400 miles from from China, um, is that something that you think we might regret here in the near future as a country? Yes, I think we will. I think that what we saw, it goes back to a time when I had served in Vietnam and then came back and I was only – right hand of James Schlesinger, Secretary of Defense, as his special assistant when uh, Vietnam fell in 1975. And we had to pull out of there because of a law that had been passed by the Democrats in the Senate that said we could not support the Vietnamese forces, which we had created over a period of 10 years, who were capable of winning on the ground if they achieved support. So by, you know, dishonorably leaving Vietnam when we were on the cusp of a victory like we had been in South Korea, uh, some years before, uh, we set a precedent. And after that, seven countries fell to communism from 75 to 79. And under the weak leadership of Jimmy Carter, the Soviet Union and their evil empire was on a very heavy roll. We're now faced with pretty much almost the same pattern, except this time the Chinese are, the, are leading the evil empire, which consists of China, uh, of Russia, of Venezuela, Nicaragua, uh, Iran. And now they're pulling Saudi Arabia somewhat into their uh, orbit. Yeah, Saudi uh, Arabia, uh, now Brazil, and, uh, and uh, you know, Venezuela, Cuba. Yeah, they, uh, there are a lot of countries that are, uh, you know, willing to uh, deal in uh, uh, black gold and uh, death and repression and uh, centralization and uh, abuse of human rights in order to stay in power. And they are, they're banding together uh, much like they did uh, at various times in the past, but particularly in the uh, in the 70s when we, we got into a very weakened situation uh, and we hope to uh, pull out from wars and not have overseas entanglements. So the same thing is going on now. And, and while I sympathize with many who, who wish to not be involved in foreign uh, conflicts and wars and escapades. And, and the, uh, we, we had a discussion before in the studio where one of the reasons for Brexit is because 
England and the U.K. was being invaded. And the British, even though they didn't want to talk about it, the British said enough is enough. You know, we want Brexit because we don't want to get invaded. And right now the European community has been invaded. Uh, France has been overrun. Germany has been overrun. Is that what Joe Biden is doing to the United States of America? Well, in many ways, that's exactly right. Uh, the Turks, uh, who were very at great animosity towards the European Union by not being allowed to be in the European Union, uh, opened the floodgates and started letting people from all over the world in the South uh, get into uh, the European Union. And uh, I think 20% of the population of France is, is Muslim now, 10% legal, 10% illegal. Uh, and so the, the bad guys have, have discerned because of Western concerns about human rights and so forth. They weaponized people, people themselves, immigrants have been turned into weapons. We've had about 5 million people enter the United States illegally uh, in the last two two or three years, which is, uh, you know, the size of about, you know, uh, 50 or 100 divisions of of troops. Uh, They're all over the country. They're being bussed and plane to many uh, purple states and red states to potentially try and change the electoral balance uh, at some point. Uh, and basically, they've surrendered the sovereignty of the United States to uh, uh, what appears to be Im- innocent immigrants who were fleeing for their lives. But in fact, in many cases, these illegal immigrants are backed by large pools of capital from the narcos, from our foreign adversaries, and so forth. So we're, in effect, being invaded with a, a uh, friendly face of, of the foreign immigrants that are poor, but nonetheless are going to create... Yeah, but there's no control over the borders. Everybody's coming in no matter who it is. You know, well, the, listen, I don't know why we're checking the airplanes coming in. I don't know why we're checking the airplanes coming out when it's a free-for-all on the borders. Well, you're right. I mean, the people coming out over the borders don't have to be checked for COVID. They don't have to be checked for anything. They're finding hundreds of... Uh, felons that are coming in, the uh, the fentanyls coming in with the, uh, the, the the immigrants, there's human trafficking. I mean, we turn the... And, uh, and c- certain the countries narco- are exporting their jails to us. Exactly. And nobody talks yeah, about better. it because why should, like Venezuela, why should they have the people in jails uh, paying their food three, three times a day? Just send them to the United States. Let them kill you Americans. Exactly. I mean, you've got, uh, I mean, the narco uh, groups in Mexico uh, basically are now working working for uh, China, and the Mexican government is working for the narco. So basically, you've got uh, Mexican is Mexico is being uh, taken over as a a weapon and a client state uh, in many ways, uh, hit in a hidden way by not so hidden way by. The Chinese, so we're we're having we're being encircled. The Chinese are always blathering about the United States is trying to contain them and encircle them and prevent their growth and their development as a major power. And, and some and of the effect, and and, and time, the some of the people that are, are saying Joe Biden, like thirty percent of the people say Joe Biden is doing a great job, or forty percent, whatever the number is on that day for the poll, are those people dumb? Or they're tiptoeing through the tulips. Well, I, mean, I think you know, a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, you have to see we're being invaded. Well, we are. And, of course, the, the pollsters are, in many cases, 
uh, hired by people who want a certain outcome. And so they're polling people uh, that are more likely to be in favor of Joe Biden, many of the pollsters. And yet even polling those people, you're finding only 30 percent that say Biden should be reelected or he's doing a good job. So the number is probably much lower than that. Uh, and the polls are just nothing but another trick to, uh, you know, misinform public opinion in many cases. Well, Ty, we've got a minute left, but, you know, to John's point and to your point earlier, it seems like really the Biden policy is let's just do the opposite that Donald Trump did. And Chad Lopez, who not only is the president of the station here, but he seems to be digging up news from everywhere, was, highlighted to me. He was a Navy me. man. He's a Navy man, and he is scratching his head. Well, let's not get any fights. Assistant Secretary of the Air Force on the line. We've got a Navy guy over here, so I want to be careful to not get any fights on the air between and, the two of them. And Ty but went to West he, Point. Ty went to West. Really? Okay, yes. well, yeah. and, and there, so you've got, but, Ty, but what Chad pointed out before was, that uh, the Biden White House is now blaming Trump for Biden's surrendering in Afghanistan. Uh, this seems to be completely political. So thanks for pointing that out there, Chad. Yeah, it's a very sad thing. It's a little bit like Joseph Goebbels in the Third Reich, who was a propaganda minister that pretty much said if you repeat a big enough lie enough times, people, a number of people will start to believe it. And that's now, pretty much what's going on at the White House. Ty, before we sign off, we have 30 seconds left. I'm going to just say some people in Washington, whether it's Homeland Security or, or others, I'm not going to mention no names. How close are we coming to the word treason? I mean, because the giving up. Afghanistan, giving up the air bases uh, right next to uh, China, mm-hmm. giving up all the equipment, uh, invasion of Europe, uh, 100,000 people a year being killed by fentanyl. It's high well, unconcerned. If, uh, if you looked at um, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, which is a separate law system that is uh, covers the military, and if you considered the commander-in-chief, uh, the president, really should uh, uh, stick to and obey and be, be part of that, uh, there certainly would be a a, uh, a call for a proper call for a court-martial or dereliction of duty in any number of cases, including uh, taking money uh, from uh, foreign powers and uh, a number of other uh, decisions that have really harmed the, the interests of the United States. And it's really quite it's a, a concern. Uh, it's a concern. Yeah. And I hope he, I hope I hope he's innocent, but it's a concern. Well, Ty, thank you so much for being on with us on, on Good Friday here. We really appreciate your time and your expertise. Let's go to that break. Yeah. And when we come back, we're going to talk about cars. No AM radio. I want my AM radio. In times of emergency, AM radio could be your only source of information. Tesla and several other car companies are getting rid of AM radio. AM radio is a part of the emergency alert system. Certain auto manufacturers have dropped AM radio. Write your representative now. Go to wabcradio.com slash save AM radio. Sign the petition. Go to wabcradio.com slash save AM Radio. Talk Radio 77 WABC. 
Kid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Well, our next guest, before we get to our next guest, Alex Siciliano, who is the vice president of the National Broadcasts Association, Justin Liu, I want you to play a quick 30-second clip no, over just, here uh, we, about we, AM radio. Did just, I miss we, that right yes, there? you missed it. Oh, you, my we, we goodness. We played it. Uh, Alex, did you, did you hear that clip we're doing nationally? You see, John never misses anything over here. Uh, but Alex, Alex, I on? think he's working to make sure he gets his phone right it, over here. But it, Alex is going to talk a little bit about Alex the lack on. of yeah, AM yeah. radios in new electric cars. One of the things before Alex well, gets on, I want to talk to you about. Is he on play, yet? Let's play the other one, too. Yeah, let's play the Pence one. Okay, hold on. Well, let's let, let Alex go on uh, because there's an attack. There's an attack on AM radio, another attack. Why? We don't know. Ford announced yesterday. Mm-hmm. Ford, the Ford company announced yesterday they are taking all AM radios out of all Ford cars in 2024. And we have Alex Siciliano here, who's the vice president of the National Broadcast Association. Alex, tell us about AM radio and what's going on and the attack on AM radio. Well, good morning, and thanks for having me on. Yeah, what we're seeing, and, and Ford is just one of the latest car companies to do it, but we're seeing a slow trend of the AM radio being stripped from the auto dashboard. Um, and it's Ford, as you mentioned, is the latest company to do that. It originally started with the electric vehicle line of cars, and it's now moved over to their combustion engine cars, um, and which is obviously of great concern to our membership, which is local broadcasters from across the country. Uh, as AM radio has 82 million monthly listeners, and it's not just in small and rural, mar- rural markets, but it's also in major cities such as where you guys are in New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, and Boston. And it's part yeah. of FEMA. Exactly, exactly. And that's, and that's not only do Americans depend on it for news and entertainment, it's the backbone of our nation's emergency alert system, which was set up in the late 1990s. About 77 AM radio stations can reach 90% of the population. Um, and these are stations that have investments from FEMA with generators and other infrastructure so that in the event uh, of a natural disaster or some sort of attack, the president would be able to reach. Is this Americans a breakdown? Is this, you know, does, we've been talking all morning. We had the assistant secretary of the Air Force on before. Is this an attack on America? You know, the, the, the invasion from the borders, uh, the fentanyl coming in from the borders, the, inv- the attacks on our education system. Now, part of our security system for, for America is the AM radios that can play anywhere. Like you said, 96% of America are on this emergency broadcasting system. And now the, the car companies want to destroy that, too? So and what we've seen is, is a bipartisan group of former federal emergency management agency, FEMA, heads have written a letter to Secretary Pete Buttigieg, uh, that a Department of Transportation secretary is saying that you should do everything within your power to work with automakers to keep this important technology in cars. And, you know, we've seen tornadoes across the Midwest and upstate New York. We've seen devastating snowstorms. When these events are happening, people are not turning into cable news that's being broadcast in some city far away. There might, yeah, I mean, there might not be cable if there's no electricity. Exactly. If the, if the cable systems are down. There's no electricity. If there's no place to charge your, your, your damn car, an electric car, you're not going to go anywhere. You know, I, I rode in a Tesla, a Uber Tesla the other day, and there's a button you have to push 
to open the door. Suppose it's not a, there's no electricity. What button? Is, how are you going to get out of the car? Exactly. And, and we've heard from we just at the National Association of Broadcasters, we just launched our Depend on AM radio campaign uh, at the beginning of this week, dependonam.com. Uh, we urge you to go there. There's a tool there for uh, folks to reach out to their members of Congress and urge them to work with automakers to keep this in the car here. But we've, we've heard from countless people this week that have already written in as part of this campaign saying that when the power goes out, they go to their car. Because, as you say, that's the only place for electricity. That's the only place for information. Alex, let me just – a very simple question. Why? Why is Ford doing this? Why is Tesla doing this? What is, in your estimation, the motivation behind this? So what they say, and and this is true, is that there is a interference issue on the electric vehicles, which is, as I say, where this started, and there's an interference issue with the cabling. And some companies have opted out altogether. Other companies – uh, like Chrysler and Jeep, have used shielded high-voltage cables and connectors to cut down on the interference or moving the radio receivers further away. You know, I, I think the best we can surmise is that they're just trying to save a few bucks, right? And obviously that adds up over time. Um, you know, and as, as we've said at the NAB, our industry has been somewhat fragmented, and some of this has been an education campaign of us meeting with our counterparts in the auto industry to share just the popularity and the vast reach that AM radio has. And and so, um, you know, we're working every day here to, to fight back, and we've, we've got some strong allies in Congress here in Washington, D.C. that are that are working well, the fight with us as well. You know, and we had uh, – last week I had Vice President Pence in the, uh, in the studio, and uh, uh, he was concerned. About not having it. Hold on. I even I think I have it here. Here's former Vice President Mike Pence about AM radio. Making sure that these new electric vehicles include FM and AM as well as all the other new technology, I think, is a real priority for the free flow of information in America. Write your representative today. Go to wabcradio.com slash save AM radio. Sign the petition. Go to wabcradio.com slash save am radio well you know uh, everybody is concerned uh fema is concerned and and i think it's part of the attack on america and it just uh, it's it's crazy um what else can we do you know what else i did we have a big companies a lot of big companies and we have maybe a thousand company cars who knows how many i lost track of how many we have I'm going to put out an executive order for, for my companies. Don't buy any more Ford cars, full stop. Yeah, and I think that's what part of this has been about educating these auto manufacturers of what they are doing and what the public and consumers are going to be missing uh, when they go to, to make these purchases. We can, At the NAB here, we commissioned a worldwide study with a few of our partners within the last year or two showing that when folks go to buy a car, 8 and 10 are less likely to buy a new car if it does not include AM radio. So this technology, as much as some would like to say it's antiquated as a thing of the past, it's extremely, extremely popular with the American people. And I think it's incumbent upon many, like you're saying, to show the automakers just how popular it is. Alex, we've got 60 seconds left. Uh, is any of this political, do you think? Do you think there's a political push on this uh, in terms of wanting to – uh, maybe get some conservative voices off the air. I know that, you know, on WABC you have conservative, liberal voices all across the spectrum, and there are definitely liberal voices on AM radio as well, but do you think it's to push conservative voices off of the air? 
You know, Andrew, I, I've heard people talk about that. I think what we've seen is our two, some of our strongest allies in Congress are actually Democrats. Uh, Senator Ed Markey from Massachusetts wrote a letter to 20 auto manufacturers really holding, holding their feet to the fire, requesting responses and saying this is an extremely important technology uh, that needs to be kept. And we've seen the same thing with your guys' neighbor over in New Jersey, Representative Dottheimer, sending letters to the automakers as well, sending, uh, working with the National Highway Tra- Transportation Safety Administration to say this is a safety tool that, you know, just like a seatbelt or yep. a rearview mirror or anything else that goes in the car, this needs to stay. So I, I've heard that, Andrew. I, I think right now we're seeing a groundswell of bipartisan support on both sides of the aisle to say keep this in the That's car. That's good to hear. Well, thank you so much, Alex. We're going to fight the war together. All Americans are going to fight the war because our country is under attack in many, many directions. And uh, God bless you and God bless America. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. Of course. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Sit and Friends in the Morning. How many of us have them? 77 WABC. Well, John, coming up next, we have somebody who's been all over the news, really, for the last, like, 30 years, but certainly the last... Not 30 years, 50 years. 50 years, okay. Well, you know, I'm trying to, you know, be a little easy on his age over there, right? He's here. not I know he goes, yet. You know, he goes way back with, with my father, but uh, now on the line we have Alan Dershowitz, who has a book called Get Trump that is out, and uh, Professor Dershowitz... It really seems like they are doing everything in my home borough of Manhattan to do exactly that. Get Donald Trump. Well, that's the strategy. That's been the strategy now for quite some time. Uh, The idea that a district attorney and an attorney general would run on a platform of getting somebody and then rummage through the statute books to see if they can get him. Look, You know, your dad and I go back to the early 1970s. We were fighting ferociously. I was a defense attorney. He was a great prosecutor. He helped prosecute the Jewish Defense League. He helped prosecute Eddie Rosner. I was on the defense side constantly, but he always played fair. Mm -hmm. He never targeted anybody. The crimes were there, he thought. I thought maybe they weren't. Mm -hmm. We argued. I won some. He won some. But the, the idea of a prosecutor running on a platform of I'm going to get this guy whether he committed crimes or not and then looking through the statute books and finding no crimes nothing and then making up a misdemeanor stapling it to a made-up felony and creating 34 salami slices out of one alleged or a couple of alleged uh, uh, hush payments it's just something the bar association ought to prohibit. It should to be it should be unethical. Robert Jackson, the greatest attorney general in American history, thought it was unethical. Uh, many, 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 many people have thought it was unethical, and it is. You know, what, one of the things that you've said, and I've seen you say it recently, is that there's no chance that Trump would get acquitted yeah. in Manhattan because the judge and jurors won't have the courage. So what is the chance you think that this would get moved to Staten Island? Or a different any part of the decent, state. Any decent judge looking at this will say the appearance of injustice 
being prosecuted by a DA in a district where the jurors in the case, many of them will have voted for the DA who had the platform of Get Trump, is so obvious that if this is a strong case, a Staten Island jury will convict, uh, a Long Island Mm -hmm. jury will convict, a Rockland County jury will convict, a jury upstate will convict. Why are we so locked into Manhattan? For a very obvious reason. The last thing Bragg wants is a fair trial. He wants to get Trump. You know, my book, it's a great title, Get Trump. I wish I had been smart enough to create it. I wasn't. I borrowed it from Letitia James and <laughs> from uh, from Bragg. They invented it, Get Trump. That's their philosophy. That's what they ran on. And if they don't get Trump, they won't win re-election. That's not what prosecutors are supposed to do. So I agree with you here, but what? Uh, how does the process work where you could get this moved from Manhattan, let's say, to Richmond County or to Rockland County or to Hamilton County, another county. How's the process, and and what do you think the chance that that will actually happen is? Well, what I don't know is the strategy that the lawyers are employing. Uh, Having this case put off until December, I've never seen anything like that. Uh, If I were a defense lawyer, I'd be moving for a change of venue the day after tomorrow. I'd be organizing polls. I'd be getting expert witnesses. And I'd be making the claim. I do not believe this judge has the courage to be the guy to walk around New York City, to walk into his clubs, to walk into his favorite restaurants and have fingers pointed at him saying, that's the judge that freed Trump. Oh, my God. Look what happened to me when I even defended him. I didn't free him. I defended him. People on Martha's Vineyard stopped talking to me. Friends and relatives in Manhattan stopped talking to me. I became Adolf Hitler's enabler, according to one person on Martha's Vineyard. Larry David, my old friend, starts screaming at me. I can't talk to you. You're disgusting. You're despicable. Do you think any judge wants to face that? Remember, you know, I'm a legal realist. I went to Yale Law School. Legal realists have taught that judges are ordinary people. Robes don't change them. They are influenced by the milieu around them, by the psychology, by family members. Uh, And, you know, here's a judge who has some connections to Democratic politics. I don't think his 15-buck contribution or his $30 contribution alone is enough to recuse him. But when you look at the totality of the circumstances, if I'm that judge, I say to myself, you know, I'm fungible. Why take a chance of there being a motion down the line to to have me recused, I'm going to get myself off the case and, and turn it over to the chief judge and ask him to put it in the wheel. That would be the smart thing to do, especially since he had already presided over a previous Trump case. And this is not a – if it's a related case, then he really shouldn't be on it because he's already made up his judgment. And if it's not a related case, it should have been put back in the wheel. So I don't like the, the, the appearance that exists when this judge is essentially handpicked uh, by the prosecutors uh, who is who are the ones who, I think, who called it a related case. So I, it should have gone to the wheel, and it should still go to the wheel, but it shouldn't be a judge in Manhattan. It should be and a judge in and shouldn't the judge uh, make certain disclosures? I See, I'm not a lawyer. I, I, you know, I'm a college dropout. So uh, and shouldn't the judge make certain disclosures that, that the fact that his daughter works for for, uh, I think, Michelle Obama or Barack Obama? I forget. Well, there should be full disclosure, and the defense should make a motion. They shouldn't even have to make a motion. The judge should 
issue a statement saying, look, let's, there's been all kinds of speculation. People want to know, did I support Bragg when he ran? Let me tell you, I did or I didn't. Did I support this? Did I, you know, have I spoken to people in favor of Bragg? Have I ever made any statements about Trump? Um, uh, have I expressed hatred toward Trump? Uh, did I talk to my family about Trump during that previous case? He should make all those disclosures. Judges, you know, everybody says nobody's nobody is uh, above the law. Judges are supposed to have a special obligation to make sure they lean over backwards. So not only not to do injustice, but not to appear to be doing injustice. And I think more can be done to assure the American public and the world. Remember, too, this is a world case. The president of El Salvador lectured us the other day. He said, oh, my God, you're going after a candidate for president (laughs) and you're lecturing us on democracy in Central America. You have lost your standing. Tell us in Central America and South America how to conduct our government. Professor, yes. International implications. Yeah. Uh, Professor, you were a professor for 50 years at Harvard. Uh, yeah. What happened to ethics? Well, I taught it for I, I taught it for thirty five years, and it was a very popular uh, course. I don't know what's happened to ethics. What's happened to law students? Let me tell you what's happened. I couldn't speak today at Stanford University. The National Lawyers Guild would shut me down. I couldn't speak probably at Yale when I went to law school. I don't even know if I could be invited today to go back and give a lecture at Harvard, where I taught for 50 years on wow. law, without having my speech disrupted. Wow. That's what's going on in law school. And these are our future leaders. These are our, this, is the, this is the next generation of people who will be our lawyers and our judges. And I have to tell you, these lawyers, many of them will not follow in the footsteps of John Adams. They will not take unpopular cases the way I've taken unpopular cases all my life, and I've paid a price for it. Boy, have I paid a price. I took a lot of unpopular cases and got criticized. Nothing like Trump. Nothing like Trump. I lost more friends, more associates, more relatives uh, wouldn't talk to me just because I defended a man that they hate. That's un-American. Well, and to that point and to what you said before, being a legal realist, um, from a political standpoint, what would you recommend Republicans do? Because we've gotten to the point where this is not about anything that we've seen in the judicial system in this country before. This is political. Is it time for district attorneys to start indicting the first family for what I see as the obvious pay-for-play schemes? I hope not. I really hope that we don't see tit-for-tat. Right. We may. But it, it, I, I, I am an, I'm, uh, an optimist. You know, in Israel, they say a pessimist is somebody who says, oh, they, things are so bad they can't get worse. An optimist says, yes, they can. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm an optimist in the best sense of the word. I do think this case may teach Americans. I'm not talking about the extremists, the National Lawyers Guild, the crazies, or the Greens on the other side. I'm talking about people in the center, and that's what Americans are generally in the center. I think it may teach them, you know, we really have to preserve our legal system. We have to make sure that the legal system doesn't become weaponized and politicized by each party against the other. We need to go back to the days when Thurgood Marshall could represent people he despised, where Abraham Lincoln could do that, where, of course, but John Adams. It's happened. We're not there. It's happened. I mean, how, how, do we, how do we bring it back? 
Well, you know, one of the reasons I wrote my book, Get Trump, is I give suggestions about how to return us to the days of yesteryear where we had lawyers who were prepared to stand up. You know, I used to tease uh, uh, Rudy Giuliani a lot. Uh, I would say, I knew you, dear prosecutor, if you grew up in Brooklyn and rooted for the New York Yankees <laughs> instead of the Brooklyn Dodgers, you were born a prosecutor because the Yankees won every single year. All of my growing up, 47, 48, 51, finally in 55, the Dodgers won. But Rudy and I would fight. We went to a Yankee game together recently, and we both showed off our rings. I had a Boston Red Sox championship ring and he had the Yankee ring. And, you know, Rudy and I couldn't be more different uh, from a prosecution point of view. But I used to invite him to my class to lecture my students, and he would invite me down to the U.S. Attorney's Office. He wanted everybody to see all sides of every issue, as I did. Those days are gone forever, I think. I I hate that word, forever. I know, I know. But, you know, when you're 84 years old, forever is a short time. So uh, (laughs) I'm going to try to spend the next five years of my life writing more books, trying to get people. You know, I think making my my book's a bestseller on Amazon, even though you can't buy it in local bookstores. Local bookstores won't sell a book named Trump. But it's been a bestseller. And that sends a message to brag, saying somebody's watching. There's some accountability here. History is watching. And so all I can do is write books and talk to intelligent people like you who have good talk in the morning and catch, my God, what you've done to radio. You've revolutionized it. I've been listening to ABC since I was like five years old, and what you've done to it is absolutely remarkable. Well, we're going to change you know, the office building we're in. We're going to change it yeah. to the Daily Planet building. <laughs> Uh, well, there's already, you know, the New York Daily News building. You ever passed that? Yes, I've been, but now, now, now the Daily Planet building is going to move to here because that's the home right. of Clark Kent. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, for me, we hired uh, Clark Kent. I grew up by yeah. Superman. I grew up by <laughs> Superman. Uh, for years, I was wondering when our world would explode and whether my parents would send me in a rocket ship to a different planet. Yes. I actually tried, when I was about five, I actually tried to jump out the window wearing a towel as a cape, and I just scraped my knees. Fortunately, we lived on the first floor. <laughs> Alan Dershowitz, thank you for calling in. Thank you, thank you for uh, you know, uh, for everything you do. And uh, and you, to me, you are wearing the white cape. Let's let's try to make a difference in the world. Let's try to bring uh, the United States of America back to its moral standings. And Professor Dershowitz, you hit on almost every single point, but you did miss the Yankee championships in 1949 and 1950. I'm just letting you know. I don't know if you omitted that on purpose. And my mother no, threw away my my baseball cards from 1951. Mine, mine too. But I remember being being attacked because I love Joe DiMaggio. Even though I was a Dodger fan, right. nobody was like Joe. You know, I thought Joe DiMaggio was a wasp. Because he was, I mean, like the, the epitome. And somebody, you know, he's Italian. No. <laughs> but, you know, Joe DiMaggio, Phil Rizzuto, uh, uh, Carl Ferrillo, Yogi Berra. So I have a, a, a trivial pursuit question for everybody. When's the last time two Italian-Americans were all-star catchers in a World Series against each other? Two Italian-Americans, World Series. Oh, we need Yogi Berra. for that. Yogi Berra and uh, it'd be Yogi and... Who would who would be the other one? 
Was it Yankees? Oh, Campanella. Of course, of course, of course. Campanella is an Italian American. Right. Dark skin, an Italian American. Half black, yeah. but Italian American. Those days with Yogi Berra and Roy Campanello, with Don Newcomb, who recently died. Uh, you know, I wish we could get back to that America. I know I sound like an old. We're going to get back. Well, we're going to get back, yeah. uh, Professor. We're going to work hard, help. and we're and with we're going to get help. back. And you have the Good. voice on WABC. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we're going to take a, a, a break. But uh, when we come back at nine o'clock hour, we have Cardinal Dolan. Uh, wants to wish everybody a, uh, a, a great Easter. Yeah. And I look forward to that. And we have some other interesting people. Yeah, Janice Dean uh, will be joining us oh, here. Well, well, you know, right. I hope she. Uh, it, it's a great show today. Yeah. Sense. Great show. And I want to thank the both of you today. We have listeners, our listening audience is up, John. It's up. And that, what does that say about New York City right now? New to York. be a happy Easter, happy Passover, and all of our listeners are still listening to us on the holiday. Well, Isn't that, great? that is beautiful. Thank you. And uh, let's go. Are we going to the news department? I don't know. I can't read my... Uh... We're going to break right now. Yeah. News department? No. Entertaining and informative talk for New York. Streaming now on your smart speakers. Play 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Well, we're back. And, uh, this is Andrew Giuliani, Chad Lopez in the studio. See, when you have a holiday... Even the bosses work, huh, Chad? That's right. That's right. And you guys, it's sounding so good. Like I said earlier, we're getting so many. John, you got from Zurich, right? Uh, a text from Zurich, from Zurich, from Australia, from yeah. all over. I know the place. we got one from Wales who's listening. And, and, and typically, when it's it's Good Friday or pa- Passover, we don't have much listeners, and we don't have much. But this this now today this morning that's is un- that, yeah. That's for the stations that do repeats and and play uh, music. We are live. Curtis is working 60 hours this weekend. Yeah, you're, you're going easy on him this weekend. What's yeah. that about? Yeah, so it's been really good. And, and it, But it also, again, I said, it also says something about what's going on we in care. our country. We care and, and, about making a difference in our country. Yeah. And I understand we have a, uh, a new uh, uh, a first-timer on our show. Uh, we have Janice Dean, a famous uh, Fox reporter, a, uh, a spokesman for... MS and uh, and and a lady that's a little bit mad about what happened during the COVID crisis because she lost some loved ones. Uh, Janice, are you there? A little bit mad. <laughs> You're mad. At, wait, wait. Where's that button? You're, where is it? You can't that's find the it. Button? No, we're, wait, wait. We're we're waiting for a little sound effect for the, for the over there. Mad is we're mad I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. <laughs> All right, that's the button we were looking for. You know, uh, uh, our control room is running a little bit slow today, but uh, uh, Janice, uh, you're also uh, the one of the country's leading spokesperson for MS. You want to talk to us about it before you tell us how mad you are? <laughs> 
Well, I was diagnosed in 2005 with multiple sclerosis, uh, and against a lot of people's wishes, I decided to come out and talk about the diagnosis on television. Uh, and since then, you know, it, it opened a lot of doors for me, not only to meet other people uh, that live with the illness, uh, but also to talk about it, to make other people not afraid of dealing with a chronic illness like MS. And, and I'm happy to say I'm, I'm doing well. Uh, I'm on a therapy uh, that requires me to have an infusion once every six months. I have wonderful doctors, uh, and I feel really, really blessed uh, to be happy and healthy, but also be someone who's an advocate and a spokesperson that on is, behalf of the MS Society. That is wonderful, wonderful news. Uh, tell me, you know, I have diabetes, and I've been a, a spokesperson, and I've been a spokesperson in ways that uh, they don't want me to be a spokesperson, that I think there's so much money that is being made in diabetics or diabetes that they don't want to find a solution. Tell me about MS, because I don't know much about it. Does that happen in MS? Well, that's a broader discussion <laughs> that would require a little bit so more. So I than, have to you know, have you back on again for a weekend show. Well, that's fine. I'm happy to spend a lot of time on chronic illness and what our country is doing to people like yourself who have to pay a lot of money for prescription drugs. I, I had to fight with my insurance company uh, the last time for weeks uh, to try to get my medication. They weren't going to give it to me. Uh, and, and a lot of people are, are running up against this, and they, they give us such a hard time. And for people who have chronic illness, stress is the, the biggest factor in, in uh, you know, if for people who worry about having another flare-up like MS. So uh, I fought. I fought hard to get my medication. But for people who don't have the platform or, you know, the avenues that I have to fight back, you know, people are going to give up. And that's that's not right. I, I understand that. And uh, it's... Uh... Uh, and there's so many medicines. And uh, when I was going, University of Miami has a big uh, diabetes clinic. And uh, I remember a discussion we had there where they they had a drug that acted as an anti-rejection drug for certain things they wanted to do. And one one of the, uh, the pharmaceutical companies bought it, put it on the shelf, and forgot about it. Hmm. Yeah. Now, yeah. You lost some loved ones on uh, 9-11. We all lost loved ones, and and you uh, uh, were very much saddened, and like we all we we all, we all lost loved ones. Well, listen, tell, tell us about your I wanna, uh, your, I, your thing. okay. You said 9-11, and if you want to go not, back, not, there, I'm sorry, husband. I'm sorry. No, but listen, that is that is the nine eleven of COVID. Nine eleven. My husband is a firefighter, and he lost all of the men in his firehouse oh uh, 21 years ago. Okay? And he is a, he's a servant. He is still with the FDNY. He's a battalion chief. He has served 27 years of his life with the fire department, and so did my father-in-law, uh, Mickey Newman, who was with the New York City Fire Department for 23 years. 
him and his wife were in separate elder care facilities three years ago. Uh, they lived in a four-story walk-up in Brooklyn, New York, for 50 years. They were having a hard time uh, taking care of themselves and each other. So we made the really hard decision uh, to have 24-hour care for both of them. They were in separate elder care facilities. Mickey had a lot of ailments. He had dementia. We had to get him in better health to join his bride, D in an assisted living residence almost three years ago to the date uh, the governor, the disgraced governor, put over 9,000 COVID-positive patients into their residence into New York uh, without our knowledge. And he did it for 46 days. And the result was over 15,000 deaths of our elderly. Uh, and there still has been no accountability. There has been no apologies. Uh, to my knowledge, he has never uh, called any of us who have lost loved ones, and yet he still gets a platform uh, to go on air and pretend like nothing happened. I believe, so Janice, I believe, I believe, like you, I'm giving you a platform. I believe, WABC believes everybody hours. should have a platform. You have given him several hours. You're giving me a segment, a call-in segment. We'll, you, we'll give you, you more time. Janice, we love you. We'll give you more time. That's not a problem. But uh, at a certain point, Maybe we'll set both of you up on the same program and you both have a discussion on it. Well, we can't do that because we have just filed a lawsuit against Cuomo. Against I'll blame it on the lawyers. The latest uh, host of one of your programs, Melissa DeRosa, the state of New York, the New York uh, Health Department, and the Greater New York Hospital Association. So we have to then take hopefully it into the our truth own, will come out somewhere. Hands. Well, we have to because no one else cares. And when you put on Andrew Cuomo like everything is fine, no problems at all, then your pub that's doing a disservice to your public. Because no, it doesn't. I have to argue with you on that because I believe in open microphones. Any of the families, you never had any critical uh, callers. I lost lost my cousin in 9/11, and there was a lot of a lot of questions about 9/11 going on too. 9/11 or COVID. 9-11, 9-11, I lost my cousin. Well, I'm, I, I'm very sorry for you. We've, we've lost many of my husband's colleagues from 9-11-related illness. Well, don't uh, forget, those, those uh, walkie-talkies didn't work well in uh, 9-11. Well, that's and fine. They had their day in court, did too. Did you see and, them? And so we are hoping for exactly the same thing. Our families, who we believed the governor had a, a direct impact on their deaths, committed elder side in New York. And so, you know, if you're going to have him on your air, then you need to have some of us, the families who lost loved ones, that well, are looking forward to we, having our day in court listen, against him. We agree that you should always have – WABC always has an open mic. That's why you're invited on this, on this and, and we'll have you on again. But now that you filed the lawsuit – Hopefully the truth comes out, whether because uh, Melissa DeRosa, I've spoken to her. She has defenses, and I've spoken to Andrew Cuomo. He has defenses. So the the truth lies somewhere in between. Janice, it's Andrew Giuliani. I, I, I would love to have you on my show for as long as you would love to come on to, to talk about this because Andrew you know, has I, I his see, own show if you'd like to go I, on I, with I Andrew. see pretty much eye to eye with you on a lot of this. I remember working in the White House when President Trump sent the USS Comfort up. Right. Uh, yes. I think, Thank you for bringing that uh, up, something that is rarely brought up. There were places to put these people, uh, and they went virtually empty. Uh, no, none of them were put into the comfort ship, the makeshift hospitals. Instead, they were put in where our most vulnerable lived, and the families were never notified. It was elder side in New York. That is the fact.
Well, I, I will give you as much airtime to dig in as deep on this as possible because I, I think you're well, you can, right. You're in the welcome sense to that, have Janice Dean on yeah. your on your show, Andrew. You have a full hour on Sundays, mm-hmm. and you you'll arrange it with Andrew. Andrew will call call you on it. But thank you for calling in uh, and. Uh, have are you Catholic? Are you celebrating Easter this weekend? We are. Have well, a good I hope you have a good Friday. He has risen, and uh, yes. hopefully, the the world will change to the good again. Because I'm worried about the whole world. Thank you so much. Thank you, Janice, for everything you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we're waiting. I believe uh, Cardinal Dolan is supposed to call in with the with the Easter message. Should we take a break and wait for Cardinal Dolan? Let's take a break first. Please don't bother trying to find her. She's not. Talk Radio 77 WABC. We are back, and we have a very appropriate guest who's coming up here, John. It's Good Friday today, and it's Easter weekend, and uh, we have uh, His Eminence, uh, Archbishop of New York, Cardinal Dolan. Uh, your Eminence, uh, welcome to WABC. John and Andrew, thank you for the invite and a blessed Good Friday to the two of you. John, I saw Margot last week at a christening, and she looks like a million bucks. Thanks be to God for her help. Oh, huh? did, we, did we lose money? I thought it was a billion. <laughs> <laughs> I'd give you a billion because you'd give me 10%. You're so generous. <laughs> Oh, but I was so if happy we, to see if, that. If we, if we can get to live to 100, me and you together, I'll give you 20%. <laughs> you know what you and I and, and Andrew, I trust. I don't know him as well as I know you, John. We don't have to worry about living to 100 because we're going to live for eternal life because that's why this Friday is good because Jesus on the cross, our Savior, won for us eternal life. So no wonder, no wonder this sad day is called good, huh? Well, it's a sad day, and uh, in the studio with us, we have WABC uh, President uh, Chad Lopez, too. And uh, he Hi, is- Chad. Hey. Nice to hear you. Good morning, Thanks Cardinal. Thanks for all you do. No, thank you. Thanks for all you do. John, when do our Orthodox buddies, uh, are you Are you next week this uh, year? We follow, uh, we're, we are next week. Uh, the Orthodox yeah. always follow uh, the uh, Passover. We're a week later. Well, I'm so glad you are following the Jews and the Catholics. It is so good. I am so glad. You you keep following us. you got good common sense. Well, you know, uh, it's just like in uh, Morocco. We, the women uh, follow us ex- except when there's minefields in front. <laughs> That's what I turn into a dog lover. <laughs> uh, who's there, Chad and Andrew and you, John? Yes, uh, we're, we're, the, we're, we're working on Good Friday because our listeners, we have a, a million, almost a million listeners out there. They, they, they deserve live radio, not repeat radio. Well, you know, and a lot of people are off today, and I'm glad they are because of Passover and, and Good Friday, and so they kind of relax and reflect and tune in, so it's good to be with them. You know, Cardinal, one of the best stories that I've seen over the last couple of months was this Eucharistic, I guess it's being investigated as a miracle, but what happened uh, in Connecticut, I think it's the Diocese of Hartford. That. What, what are I your thoughts that. on that with the host multiplying? 
Well, look, here's the thing. As you know, the church is very uh, sensitive and scrupulous about mm-hmm. miracles. We we got to make sure that, that they're true. We don't like – we never want miracles to turn into superstition. But, right. but what this is good is that it reminds us of the possibility of the miraculous. We're about to celebrate the greatest miracle of all with the resurrection of a man who died in agony on the cross. And it's good to know that miracles continue. And I don't particularly know about this one. Right. You're right. I'm fascinated by it. And apparently the uh, at this particular parish, the crowd was big. That's a miracle. Right. The crowd was huge. And they were running out of the Blessed Sacrament, Holy Communion. And the... Um, and apparently the host just miraculously multiplied. Now, that's not new because remember the miracle of the loaves and fish when Jesus took this, the, uh, five, the, the, the seven loaves and the two fish and multiplied them and fed 5,000, which miracle he used to teach us about the Holy Eucharist mm-hmm. so that there would be kind of a multiplication. Wow, it's rather biblical here. Now, my buddy, the Archbishop of Hartford, is, is Archbishop Leonard Blair, who is an extraordinarily thoughtful, wise, intelligent man. And I understand he took it seriously enough to say, hey, we need to look into this. We don't exactly know the outcome, but let's see what's going on here. So I look forward to hearing about it. Last night, Holy Thursday, Last Supper, we uh, celebrated the institution of the Eucharist. So it's kind of good this is this is in people's uh, radar. Your Eminence, uh, Your Eminence, uh, we seem so divided in the world right now, in our country right now. What can we do to bring the world together, the country together? Uh, it seems like we're in almost a civil war. It does, John. It does. You know what? Today, we need to look at the cross. The cross is a sign of contradiction. You talk about division. Well, the cross is the icon of division. It's, a, it's two beams of wood at odds against each other, going different direction. Jesus brought unity from the division of the cross. John, you ain't going to be surprised. You, you, asked, you, you invited me probably because you know I'm going to talk about God. We're in trouble because we've forgotten about God. Mm-hmm. We're in trouble because we think we're God's. We're in trouble because uh, we, don't, we haven't paid any attention to God's commandments and his teachings and his expectations. We're in trouble because we've got a powerful segment in society who scorns religion, who snickers at faith, who believes that anything we want, anytime, with anybody, anywhere, any place is ours by right. We've forgotten responsibility. We've emphasized rights. Both are important. But it's we're entitled to things, we got a right to things, and we have forgotten responsibility, and most of all, we've forgotten about God. And until we return to him, our Jewish brothers and sisters constantly read in their scriptures the invitation from God, come back to me with all your heart. And that's what we need to hear, the, that invitation to return to the Lord. This nation, John and Andrew and David, this, this nation... While we prize uh, the fact that we do not have an established religion, that's for sure. While we have the, uh, while we have kind of that principle, even though it's not the constitution of separation of church and state, and while we appreciate that, we do not 
have separation of faith and morality from public life. And this nation is great because it's always respected the role of conviction, virtue, value, faith, and religion in the public square. And now we got people pushing that out. So don't say to me, uh, why, are, why are we in this mess? We're in this mess because we ain't – creation is in this mess because we ain't paying attention to the creator. Creatures are in a mess because we're not – we're not paying paying attention to our creator. That's my read on it. You're not surprised to hear it. That happens to be my business. So, and, and you know, bringing your business is giving people hope, bringing people together, mm-hmm. and you do a, a terrific job. Well, you're kind of say that, John, and that's because I got the help of great people like you who are always there when people are in need. And we got we got uh, we got places like this, a public square like your radio, where people can talk sensibly with common sense about stuff. And, and that's what it's all about is common sense. And lately, you common sense is it. not all that common. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I had Professor Dershowitz on uh, before, and and uh, he. Uh, He's abhorred of what's going on in the legal profession because the word ethics, he taught ethics for 35 years at Harvard, and the word ethics doesn't exist right now in in the legal profession. We don't want anybody to talk about right and wrong. We don't want anybody to talk about kind of that ingrained sense of right and right and wrong that's that's deep in the human heart. Oh no, everything's up for grabs. We define what's right. We define what's wrong. Don't you dare impose your values on me while everybody's trying to impose their values on people of faith. Uh, uh, Alan's right, and he's got immense credibility because he's he's hardly uh, a hard uh, core conservative. He's been in the middle of the the legal the legal profession. So the disappearance of ethics and morality, faith and values, darn it! Why are we surprised that we see everything in a mess? So uh, let me ask you a quick pop culture question here, Cardinal Dolan. You know, my father uh-huh. absolutely loves the show Chosen. So does my wife. I've been catching kind of uh, the occasional episode with her. Have you been watching this show Chosen? My father keeps saying, this guy's my kind of Jesus over here. <laughs> I hear that. Yeah. I hear the same thing. I have not watched them, but I'm going to tell you this. Usually on my coffee table, I got the books I want to read during vacation, which I usually try to take two or weeks or so in July. Now, did, did, I, got, I, did I send you now my now book, Eminence? You sent me your book, but I don't read that in vacation. I read that for penance over a <laughs> last time. That's great. <laughs> I got The Chosen on my coffee table to watch on vacation. I'll go you one better. I've met the Jesus character, and I've met his folks. And he, I've had him on my own program and my own radio and TV program, and he is dynamite. And he's very close to one of the men I'm going to ordain a priest in a month. So, and he's going to be at the ordination. So I look forward to having, having a glass of wine with him afterwards. And if I don't have wine, I'll just get a, a mug of water and ask him to change it into wine. So. <laughs> and if he fails, he fails the test. There you go. Then we know the show's a fraud. But I hear it's magnificent, and people are saying, wow, it really brings a humanity to the to the Bible, to the Gospels, to the person of Christ, who we believe is both true God and true man. So I'm looking forward to watching it. Well, Your Eminence, uh, thank you so much on uh, everything you do for all New York, for your entire uh, archdiocese. And, uh, you are gracious. Thanks we're there to, you, to help John. you, and we're there to get the message out with you. You always come through, and a, a blessed, uh, 
uh, Easter and Passover to everybody, okay? Thank you. Thank and, you, uh, we'll, See you, We'll folks. catch up soon. Thank you so much. 77 WABC. This is Sitting Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Now, John, our next guest, you're going to have to help me a little bit with the pronunciation of this name. Is it Giuliani? Rudy Giuliani is our next guest over here. I think I've run into this guy somewhere. Aren't you the kid that st- stood up in front of him when he's giving his uh, inauguration speech or something? You could tell I'm still that guy, aren't I? You're still that guy. <laughs> I'm still that guy. Well, Dad, i got to ask you a question. You know, I've been trying to reach out to you to the last day. I know you're very busy over here. But what are we doing for Easter? Are you coming over? Am I making pizza for Easter? Is that what's going on? Or are you just so disgusted by the thought of me making food? You said I'm not even going to answer the question. I'm inviting myself. Okay, perfect. Well, the invitation was already provided, so it's perfect. You're inviting yourself, and you have an invitation. (laughs) But we want to see Gracie. You you just provide the food, and we'll spend all our time with Gracie. She, she is she is the main draw. There is no doubt about that. You know, with the Masters having also been this week, we got her a little caddy uniform, so she now looks like yeah, exactly. So I had the the, the golf outfit. She had the caddy uniform on. So we're going to have to make sure that we we also while celebrating Christ rising on Sunday, also enjoy a little bit of the final round uh, at Augusta. But uh, you know, you actually and, and thank goodness. John, for my life that uh, Dad didn't do this, but for a while, when you were an adolescent, you actually thought about going into the seminary, and there would not have been an Andrew if you had done that. So thank you, thank you from my standpoint for not doing that. Uh, but but you really are uh, steeped in theological history. What are you reflecting on today uh, on this Good Friday? I guess this is a Good Friday. Maybe we need more than most because of the condition of our country and what. I spoke to John and Dominic about the other day, you know, about uh, the terrible condition that our country is in. Right. And uh, we've almost, it were, I mean, a lot of people think we're past the point of no return. There was an article about San Francisco is gone, another one that Chicago is gone. I tend to be more of an optimist, as you know, Andrew. I think, you know, you never give up. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think we can bring them back. But uh, people, people, uh, people have to learn. That you can't just reflexively vote Democrat, no matter who the candidate is. Mm-hmm. And because some of the people they elect are telling them, basically, I'm going to increase crime. When you say you're going to reduce the police, I'm sorry. Let's be practical. You're just going to increase crime. Yeah. You might as well say another 10% of the young black kids in this community are going to die. Because that's what happens. Yeah. And when you elect and put in DAs like Bragg, of which there are 50 in the United States, mm-hmm. put in by Soros. I mean, that guy's a menace to the public. Even forget the Trump case for a minute. Those of us in New York knew long before Trump. You knew the day he was sworn in. Yeah, yeah. The guy's going to violate the law day in and day out and let people out who are violent criminals. So we need a lot of help. I mean, we need a lot of help in convincing our people that this is counterproductive, that they're being sold. What we used to call John a bill of goods. Remember that expression? Yeah. Sold a bill. That means a con man. You know? One of the things that uh, Professor Dershowitz, who was on with us about an hour ago, made this point. He said that he doesn't think that Trump 
would get acquitted if he's actually in Manhattan because the judge and the jurors won't have the courage to that. And he suggested moving the trial to Staten Island or somewhere else in the state. What do you think the chances that the Trump team can actually get this move outside of the borough of Manhattan? First of all, I think I think Alan is absolutely right. right. I mean, you'd be foolish. You look at a place in which, uh, what, you get 80 percent of the vote, Biden, something like yeah. that? Yeah, 80 percent, yep. They say it's very Republican, but Staten Island has actually more registered Democrats than Republicans. It's true. And it can be won by Democrats. I mean, there was a Democratic uh, co- a co- a congressman on and off over mm-hmm. the last uh, 10 years, uh, Democrat DA. Mm. Uh, so it's a split county. It would be a fair place where you'd get a fair trial. There's, uh, But I, the answer, practically, uh, watching what happens in New York, uh, I don't think they'll do it. The judge won't do it, and the judge does not seem to be. Anything close to fair and impartial. I mean, any good judge would have thrown that indictment out looking at it, just looking at it. Uh, I remember doing many arraignments as a law clerk when I was, you know, a baby. I learned from Judge McMahon. I have no doubt Judge McMahon would have said this is not a proper indictment. It's not it's 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 null and void. You didn't charge a crime to charge a crime. You can't say the word crime. Mm -hmm. You have to under the rules two oh two hundred point five oh. New York criminal procedure, you must apprise the defendants of enough facts about the crime that you're charging. So you designate it, and the person can defend himself. He doesn't know what crime they're talking about. Uh, 34 indict, uh, pages, 34 accounts, all repetitious, just use the word crime. It's like saying, state of New York against Andrew Giuliani. Andrew, you're charged with a crime. What's the crime? Yeah. Oh, we'll tell you someday. Well, That's a violation of the Constitution. It should be thrown out. And the other thing, we, we you know, we, we talked about so many things this morning, Andrew, and uh, with ethics and everything. And uh, we, we discussed with Professor Dershowitz what happened with ethics in um, yeah uh, in, in, in the lawyer, lawyering profession. I mean, he said Professor Dershowitz says he's taught it for 35 years. Did somebody, did some of them <laughs> miss the class? Yeah, uh, Professor Dershowitz has been posit- positively harassed and persecuted, and uh, from the day that he said one word, not as Trump's lawyer, just defending him as a constitutional law expert. And uh, since then, he's been uh, uh, tortured. I, uh, he can't go places. Uh, you can look at what's happened to me, or you can look at the way in which they treat anyone who supports him. Yeah, they raided my law office, John. I mean, Jimmy, I remember to... you offered him the joke. I tell it's not a joke. I, I tell you offered them the uh, the Hunter Biden computer, and they didn't want it. No, no, no. They got nervous. The poor kids. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, it's not nice to make the FBI guys nervous. I mean, they like you as a person. They, they were they were almost embarrassed that they were being forced to do it by the crooked Justice Department, but. Um, I don't even know how the judge could sign this thing. I mean, Eighteen months later, they returned everything to me in a letter, but they found no – they have no charges. I, I no also – did you get your legal license back yet? No, they, no, they kept that. Why? I, I don't understand it. You didn't do anything I'm wrong. A, I'm a danger to the public. Well, I got to ask then. Unbelievable. What, do, what's, what's the next standpoint from, from a political standpoint here? What do you recommend Republicans do? Is it time – for DAs to start indicting the first family for their obvious pay-for-play schemes? Because 
you know, it, it's I know you have the background of obviously being uh, one of the greatest lawyers in the history of our country, but also obviously your uh, your success in the political realm as well. What do you think about this? I don't think you can do that, Andrew. Yeah, I don't think we want to do that. Right. I think we I think we uh, tit for tat. It's very human. You very much want to do it. If we do it, we just admit that our system uh, is well. Well, where is it at? Alternative, Andrew. The alternative to that is the alternative to that, Rudy. I'm coming up with an alternative to tit for tat. Maybe yeah. the people that are unethical lawyers, hundred uh, percent, that that we take them to task. Unethical lawyers taking the task instead of of doing tit for tat. I mean, that sounds like a little... Well, Judge Weinberg, you just came into the studio. Uh, we got Judge Weinberg working today, too. Uh, what about, instead of going tit-for-tat, Judge Weinberg, have the, bring the unethical lawyers that, or unethical prosecutors that do wrong things to task? I, I think, Mr. Mayor, good morning. I think that's, a, that's an excellent idea, yeah. John. I, and for example, I come up with good ideas. Sometimes. Well, no, you do. In fact, uh, I, I commend you for it. But the the important thing is, how does someone like Pomerantz go out there, having been an insider, Mr. Mayor, and then write a book about it? How does that come to pass? That's a great example. He he clearly violated uh, lawyers' ethical codes, but he violated Justice Department rules. Um, you're not, I mean, he's, he's not supposed to discuss a case after he leaves the, uh, oh, in his case, the DA. He was a DA. But, uh, but you have to have an analog within the DA's office as well. Yes, absolutely. But uh, the, the, the point about not going after them, tit for tat, is we got to, I'm not saying we shouldn't prosecute the guilty ones, but we can't do a made up case like he did. Right. So state prosecutions for the kinds of things the Bidens did. There probably are some, but you got to be really careful that they're real. Mm-hmm. Naturally, that is a federal case. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a, basically, it's a he's being bribed all his career, mm-hmm. starting thirty years ago. His son lays it out for us. His son says in the hard drive, "I pay it off my father for thirty years. I give him half of my salary, and I pay all the bills of the family." And James and the other relatives. He uses his relatives as ba- as the old-fashioned bag men, John. You know, they're the ones who collect the bribes. He gets half. They get half. Well, we have to have well, – I think we're coming up on a break. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, Rudy, uh, happy uh, happy, uh, happy Easter, Easter, and they have a good Friday, and, and we should have, continue this discussion because it's worth a, a discussion and, that's worth continuing. And, and one, one, uh, I want a very quick answer on this. What topping do you want for your pizza? <laughs> uh, I like pe- pepperoni. Pepperoni it is. Meat. Pepperoni it is. All right. Okay. All right. Love we're, you, Pop. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, <laughs> we have a, something on the lighter side. We have uh, Steve Tate, Dr. Sky, is going to uh, come on and, and, and close off the program on the lighter side.
Breaking news. WABC. Well, there's um, some breaking news here that I just saw, even though uh, – is the markets open today or closed? Today? No, they're closed today. Wow. Closed today. Well, it's still breaking news. Uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, CEO Jamie Dimon, on why the company now has more employees in Texas than in New York. Okay. I think it should be Texas, Texas and Florida. Well, I mean, <laughs> probably true. You know, he's building a beautiful building. Jamie Dimon is one of the best CEOs in, in, in the country. Uh, he's building a beautiful building on Park Avenue, uh, costing three and a half billion dollars. Wow. Give it, give or take a billion. Yeah. And uh, who's going to fill it? And if the state senate, if the state assembly, if the city council doesn't do the right thing. That's going to be an exodus, and New York is going to continue. Well, and what Diamond said was, "What's the competition?" The people are asking that question. And when New York, when New York businesses look at Florida, they look at Texas, say, "Wait a second, we're being welcomed here," rather than saying, "Give me more, give me more, give me more, give me more." We're going to overregulate you. Guess what? That's what happens. People and businesses move down ninety-five and, to Florida and to Texas yep. and to Arizona and to business-friendly states. If you talk to Mayor Suarez in Miami. They want Miami to be the capital of North and South America, the banking capital, the business capital of North and South America. No taxes in Florida. No taxes in Miami. Yeah. All right. I understand. We're going to end this program on a, a light on a light way. Yeah, we have something to look up to. We literally. have something to look up to. We have a good friend. Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky. Steve, are you there? Yes, good morning, John. Good morning, well, Andrew. And thank good you. morning, Chad. Good, good to be morning. with you and on this solemn Easter, and sacred day. It's Easter weekend. Tell us what you have to you know, tell us about it. Well, John, this is so interesting. As we talk about the solemn and sacred Good Friday, many people may not realize through astronomy, we find out that the official timing of Easter is always the first Sunday after the full moon, which is after the vernal equinox. So if you put all those three things together, that beautiful pink moon or paschal moon that we saw on the 6th heralds in the sacred season of Easter and also for Passover, too. So it's a beautiful time of the year as we open up our minds, as we're with you, of course, every Sunday on the Cats Roundtable. What do we do, John? We expand people's minds in what's out there beyond this world that, well, a lot of problems down here, but uh, out in space and the subjects that we talk about, uh, I think we're doing a good thing, don't you? Yes, and uh, the other day uh, me and you spoke about uh, Artemis One, Artemis Two, Artemis Three, yes. and uh, and I understand uh, you're going to come on our Sunday show in the Cats Roundtable and talk about it, and um, uh, and Andrew, you have a Sunday show now too. Aren't I you? do. I have from what three to four o'clock this Sunday. We're gonna. We might even have Janice Dean on to continue that conversation from this Sunday. But look, we're going to be talking about Easter. We're obviously going to be talking about what happened just this this last yeah. week at the DA's office. But, Dr. Sky, I want to talk to you about one of the Red Apple sure. podcasts that you had on recently. You know, growing up, I loved the story of Apollo 13, and, and I fell in love with it through the movies and the Tom Hanks movie that was spectacular. You recently interviewed on one of the Red Apple podcasts Fred Hayes. That, to me, was just amazing to listen to. Well, thank you so much. And the legacy of the Apollo astronauts continues. And a lot of the people in the younger generation may not realize that 12 humans actually went to the surface of the moon. But between Jim Lovell and Fred Hayes, you're so right. This is an amazing story. 
about real heroes because the truth is, a lot of times people don't hear this, they probably, if they didn't have the NASA ground crew and the good skills of these astronauts on board and the calmness that they had, they probably never would have come back to Earth. So it's a really amazing time to talk to these astronauts. And that's some of the things that we do here is people, of course, can go to the WABCradio.com Dr. Sky Experience. And, John, you may not know this, too, but for the longest time, I've also done another show out here in the West called A Call to Rights, very much in sync with what you talk about every day, about truth, justice, and the American way. So we blend all those things together to try to give people a better understanding of what's above and some of the great heroes like you're talking about, like Fred Hayes of Apollo 13 and many others. Yes, and um, uh, with Artemis One, Artemis Two, for people that don't know, Artemis One uh, was a dummies on that aircraft to go to yes. the moon. Artemis That's Two uh, will be live astronauts this uh, November of twenty-four, yes. uh, swinging around the moon, and Artemis Three is landing on the moon. That's amazing, John, and we're hoping that, you know, if everything goes well, remember, they, these are shakedown cruises, as we like to, you know, to say it more accurately. They have to test all these systems out, and so far they've worked well. But imagine that, going back to the moon in 2025, this is something so spectacular. We haven't done it, as many people might know, since Apollo 17 days. That's a long time ago, and, well, that's why we love to talk about this, because there's things that people, I think, as we talk about so many times, John, on your shows, and also with Frank Morano, uh, every other Wednesday at 1 a.m., privileged to be here. Uh, I know that's the other side of midnight, but I've kind of tugged Frank's arm and said, hey, Frank, how about for the hour we call it what? The infinite side of midnight, and he kind of likes that too, so there's lots to come. Uh, I like that, uh, the infinite side of midnight. What are we going to call Curtis Lewa? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you. We want you to have right. a great holiday weekend, and I'll thank talk you. to you on Sunday morning. Looking forward to it. Happy holidays here with uh, Easter and Passover. And again, like you say, John, truth, justice, and the American way rules. Well, thank you so much. Thank well, you so thanks. much. And uh, we're here at the Daily Planet building. Well, we, don't, <laughs> we didn't change the name of it yet. And, uh, and uh, we, we go off. Uh, we got a few more seconds Chad, here left. 30 but seconds, I, I know, Chad. I know, Chad. Well, you know what? I, I had to come back into the studio today. First off, to thank you guys, right? Thank you, Andrew and John. You're the owner, but you are the hardest worker here, and I want to get more employees like you because I don't have to pay him. Because I don't have to pay him. I'm trying to compete with uh, with uh, Curtis. So, so, but, but I had to come back in, and the emails and the uh, social media texts that we've been getting in the text have been saying thank you for putting on a live programming show in New York and talking about the topics that's going to help New Yorkers and help America. So that that's that's from John. In Ozone Park, thank you for sending that in to us. Also, why I want you to come on, John, is because your book, How Far Do You Want to Go? I need you in every morning. They're flying off the shelves. I want to oh thank James <laughs> James Palacio for purchasing a book. He bought two. Thank you for Marcel, for uh, uh, Barnett, uh, for buying a book. You. We've got so many of them coming okay, up. Okay, this is John Castellitidis <laughs> and Andrew Giuliani and Chad Lopez from the Daily Planet building. Uh, Almost uh, Daily Planet. That's right. And what do we stand for? Truth, Truth justice, and, and the American, American way. way. Have a great holiday Happy weekend. Happy Easter. Happy, Happy Good Easter. Friday. Take God care. bless.